Hello and welcome to episode number 65 of the Wise Guys Podcast. I'm John Tortorelli with my co-host Brandon Capazello and Justin Wright. Today I'll be talking about week 19 of the NFL season, the wild card <laughs> <Wow>. round. <laughs> Did I mess that up? No, you just said oh. week 19, the wild card round. Our NFL awards and last but not least some big time news around the league. The Broncos maybe giving up a first round pick for Sean Payton. DeAndre Hopkins of the Cardinals. There's a lot going on in sports right now, but I want to start off the show with this, my friends. I was listening back to our last episode where we talked about Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And I couldn't help but feel disappointed in each of you two. For the utter disrespect and frankly, disregard for a young quarterback and Jordan Love who showed us a lot in that Eagles game. That's all we got from him in his junior season. Meanwhile, we don't even know if Aaron Rodgers is going to retire this offseason. And you two guys still have the audacity to come onto the show. And every time we talk about the Packers, try to give the, give the impression that they still have a chance to win a Super Bowl with Aaron when we know their team has too many holes. The time has passed, and it's time to turn the page. So I want to start off with that. That note to me is uh, something I just, you know, it's something I can't shake off. It's giving me a hard time at night. You know Tom Brady's 45 years old, right? I'm just saying, okay. It, it seems like in the NFL that quarterbacks have aged a little bit better. It's not like the old days where the the tires are running off on them. But they're able to play into their 40s. Aaron Rodgers is showing us, he's, I believe, 39. He's going on 40. If there's any quarterback in the league today that playing style-wise that we feel can can play into his 40s, his mid-40s, it would be Aaron Rodgers. He's the closest thing that I, I believe that can, you know, play as long as Tom Brady, that, that can have that longevity. So I don't see why it's so far-fetched for, for us to be like, oh, yeah, the Green Bay Packers should roll with Aaron Rodgers because he still plays at an elite level. This was a rough year. Yeah, like I said, and I've said this many times on the show, this is a team that's failed him. He didn't fail them. Let's get it right. You know, wasting that pick on Jordan Love when you could have went out there to get an immediate impact player because you had a huge window that was open. And in turn, not only does he win two MVPs, but he also goes to two NFC championship games in the process. So that's with their, his organization failing him. So I think that says a lot. I think this is a team that just needs to solely invest in Aaron Rodgers because with one, one or two moves, we might be singing, a, uh, singing a different tune about this squad because imagine they would have had uh, a veteran presence that a real number one receiver earlier in the season where you're not having to deal with too many of the growing pains, where it's not, you know, a heavy load on Christian Watson's back. That that team would have found their groove a lot sooner. And I guarantee you they would have been in the playoffs already. If not by one game, I would say two. I don't think they would be going into week 18 with uh, anything on the line, but playoff seating. They would have already clinched a spot. So I, 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 I'm sorry, John. I'm off this Jordan Love train. I'm not feeling it. I, it was a bad pick from the start. It was just an insurance pick. But guess what? You don't need insurance for your quarterback, for your MVP Hall of Fame quarterback in the first round. If you're trying to get that, you could get it later. I mean, look at where all these other quarterbacks are are, are falling and, 
and they're working out. Brock Purdy, perfect example. Not saying everybody's going to turn into that, but you don't go get your QB insurance in the first round when you know your quarterback potentially has five, six years left. You just don't. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I just can't get over is John's, like, thing with Jordan Love. Like, this isn't Andrew Luck. You know what I mean? Like, this is where, like, when that Peyton and uh, Andrew Luck situation came out, you could understand why they were going with Andrew Luck. Uh, That's a generational talent that was projected to be the next Peyton Manning, basically. Jordan Love was nowhere near that. Um, I don't believe he was worthy of a first-round pick. I don't think a lot of people thought he was worthy of a first-round pick. So when when you have Aaron Rodgers, you go with Aaron Rodgers unless you have an Andrew Luck-type talent coming up, and they don't have that. So that that's where I just, like, I mean, I, I I don't know. John John's John, I don't know. Your whatever your opinion, your opinion. Jordan Love is Jordan, what Jordan Love is. He's not. If Aaron Rodgers wants to play, he's gonna play for the Green Bay Packers. He's gonna be the starting quarterback, and there's nothing that Jordan Love can do about it because there's such a gap between their talents and who they are. Why why would you why would you make that change? You know what? John before the show, John said he owed an apology to somebody. Have no idea who it is, but it really should be to Aaron Rodgers. You should be apologizing because in the middle of the season, when they were like four and eight, you're like, you have to roll with Jordan Love. Bench Aaron Rodgers. You have to go with Love. And guess what? They rolled with Rodgers and they put themselves in position to make a playoff run. That wouldn't have happened with Jordan Love. All you would have done was frustrate your MVP quarterback and play somebody that potentially might be decent or be terrible. That's the worst possible case scenario what you just said happened. You make a push with Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love never gets a start in his third season, and he missed the playoffs still. It shows the team has too many holes, both on the defensive side and on the offense. So it only makes sense to reset your timeline and really acknowledge the window with Aaron Rodgers has already closed. And if he decides to retire in a year, in a week, in a month, or two years, five years from now, I guarantee you the better quarterback will be Jordan Love. And that's not an indictment on Aaron Rodgers, but it's to show you that at the time Jordan Love was drafted, they didn't think Justin Herbert was a good prospect. They compared him to Mitch Trubisky. And he is a top five, top seven quarterback three years later. So a lot can change in time. Justin Herbert got three years of starting experience. Mm. Jordan Love got zero. So that's why I'm so optimistic on a guy that showed so much in such a little amount of time, both in the preseason and in the regular season, that I would at least give him an opportunity that he so deserves. In the NFL, you need a quarterback on a rookie deal to maximize a championship timeline. It's just inherently more difficult when you're paying Aaron Rodgers at the level of a top three quarterback. But if you got a guy on a rookie deal, as you saw Patrick Mahomes, it becomes that much easier, the team building mm-hmm. process. That's and so for an organization, Mahomes the Packers who sold... Mahomes. 
That's because Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. Lamar Jackson. Lamar Joe Jackson Burrow. is Lamar Jackson. Jordan Love is Jordan Love. Also, do you have no idea what he is. You have no, that's what I'm saying. But the I know NFL the world Aaron is Rogers not ready. Is. Done. I know who the hell Aaron Rodgers is. I know who Aaron Rodgers is. The NFL world won't be ready. The NFL world won't be ready for who? Jordan Love. What's Jordan Love's ceiling, John? A top 10 quarterback. <laughs> Listen, that's, that's, Justin, that's high praise for Justin, somebody you've never seen really play. Justin, you want to know? I've seen spurts. You know, I've seen his character. Is? I've seen his ability on the field. This is a moment. That to me, that to me sounds special. This is a moment on our show that we're going to remember. This is the Max Kellerman saying Tom Brady is going to be a bum in short order moment. That he just said that Jordan Love will be a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers in a couple of years. In five years. Aaron Rodgers Aaron will be Rodgers retired. Is going to be playing in five years. Exactly. That's the whole point. Okay, so then that point becomes mute. But you think he, a top 10 quarterback, man? With all the quarterbacks we see coming up, for you to just say top 10 quarterback, and like I said, there's – I don't want to diss Jordan Love. I don't want to. The guy hasn't done nothing to me. But John, seeing how you're 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 just dismissing how good of a player Aaron Rodgers is when he's out on the field and what the the Packers are capable of. Like I said, one or two moves in this team is in Super Bowl contention. Yeah, wait, hold on. So if Aaron Rodgers can only get this team to an eight and nine record, what do you think Jordan Love would have gotten them to? Isn't that the whole point? If you're going to suck, get a top five pick. Don't get the 16th every single season. Aaron Rodgers is fantastic. I love Aaron Rodgers, but you're not going anywhere with him because of how much he's being paid. So for as much as you say, (laughs) if you make one or two moves, they'll be in a different position, you know they're not going to make one or two moves. They won't financially because they literally can't. Their GM is not capable. They don't draft too well. Their head coach, we don't even know how good he is. So I don't want to hear it to make one or two moves. No, because you're still going to have the same questions, and they're still not going to get it done. So Jordan, so so, so Jordan I love Love Aaron Rodgers. So I think Love's he's great, a, but I would rather Aaron Rodgers and team that doesn't have so many holes. So are you gonna say so? So Jordan Love is gonna be a top ten quarterback with a top, I mean a bottom ten team. Did I say Aaron Rodgers? Or did, did I say Jordan Love would be a top years. ten quarterback this season, or did no, I say he no, would be a no, top no, ten QB? Years to, speak? to come, because you just lined up that the GM is terrible at making moves. The head coach, we don't know what he really is. The 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 whole team has holes everywhere that they need to fill. So if you take Aaron Rodgers off the team and put Jordan Love in, how is Jordan Love going to become a top ten quarterback with a bottom ten team? You get a couple years of better draft picks. You but build you just said a, that a he QB can't draft. Deal. You just said he can't draft. That doesn't mean he can't change that. So that why can change. can't he change that with Aaron Rodgers as his freaking quarterback? See the thing that you're doing? You're ignoring the whole other side of it just so you can make your point about Jordan Love. It makes no sense when you actually sit down and think about it. What if you trade Aaron Rodgers and a few win-now players to reset your timeline? Then you have more draft capital and more shots in the draft. But that's no, not that, going to happen. It's up to Aaron Rodgers. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers wants to go anywhere because if he was going to go somewhere, I think last season would have been the season to go. Why now when you just spent a whole season building this foundation with these receivers? 
Well, he really didn't. He didn't spend the offseason working with those guys. Uh, the whole season, John. He just spent 16 games with them playing. Romeo Dobbs had a good stretch before he got injured. Christian Watson came out late, building so much chemistry and connection with them. Do you See, think those receivers want Jordan Love on the field over over number 12? No, no. You got to deal with what you got to deal with, man. You really do because he's Aaron Rodgers. He's Aaron Rodgers. John, he's Aaron Rodgers. He's, he's earned the right. He's earned the right. Okay, so are you trying like so? What's the argument you're trying to make now? He's a two-time MVP. So you'd rather go from a team that was just off back-to-back thirteen-win seasons, back-to-back NFC Championship games, back-to-back MVP seasons for Aaron Rodgers to reset the timeline? Okay. You gotta pay. You gotta pay the quarterback. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is getting Lamar is about to get paid. Justin Herbert's going to be getting paid soon. Burrow's going to be getting a big contract. Like what? No, but you can worry about them getting injured. Joe Burrow got injured in his first season. Lamar's deal, been dealing with injuries the past couple of years. You, you know, can worry about injuries with anybody. You know, I, I'm with John on one thing. Yeah, paying really? paying him at that age, the amount of money that you are, is a lot, especially with the uncertainty of is he going to stick around for you? Uh, so yeah, I understand the reservation there, but yeah, as Brandon said, these qu- all quarterbacks are getting paid. You know, if a team, so if Tom Brady guaranteed two years, two three years to any team of free agency, could you imagine the contract that he can get? But no, I Tom Brady's know. the Tom Brady's the anomaly at quarterback. That's like, I'm good with less. Mm-hmm. Surround me with better. But all these other quarterbacks in the league, they're not doing that. So I, I can't expect Rodgers to do the same. While it'd be nice if he did, but he won't. So I, regardless, I, I don't think uh, that's a point to be made. However much he's getting paid, that's going to be a problem for many teams around the National Football League in a couple of years. It surely will be. So talking about some quarterbacks that are going to need to get paid soon, we're going to open things up now with our NFL wildcard weekend preview so which game would you guys like to start with on the saturday slate we got the seahawks at 49ers and the chargers at jaguars at 8 15 let's go in order let's go in order geno smith this year broke the seahawks all-time passing yards record i was on air saying this team could go to the nfc championship game about seven weeks ago give or take Mm -hmm. before some pretty key injuries i might add and for San Francisco, since then, they are on a 10-game winning streak. And I was actually on some – I was doing some of a little research, you know, and I was on Vegas Insiders yesterday. And I saw Brock Purdy with a plus 1,000% chance of winning MVP. I'm not sure if you guys saw that, but that was something I saw. And I could not believe my eyes. I wanted to scourge them. So this is a game for the 49ers where the defense is red hot going up against a team with two rookie starting tackles. And you've got Nick Bosa, the runaway defensive player of the year on the other side. I think this could be one of the more lopsided games of the weekend. And I like Geno Smith's chances of putting up a fight, maybe writing his own little story. But for this 49ers team, 
I think Christian McCaffrey, who just won Player of the Month, and George Kittle are going to churn out 200 total yards. Brock Purdy is going to, in his first ever playoff game, get a W. And these 49ers are going to move on to the second round of the playoffs with Jimmy Garoppolo one step closer to returning. For y'all, I'm not sure what the spread is if you can help me out there. Do you think the Seattle Seahawks can surprise some people coming to this game? We had, put, we had Pete Carroll riding around a scooter this week. The vibes feel a little bit immaculate in Seattle. They're playing with house money here. They're getting a little bit healthier, but not fully. Is there a chance the Seattle team could run a new story and maybe surprise some people here? Brandon, you want to take this? By the way, spread, San Francisco minus nine and a half. Can't hear you, Brandon. Can't believe you guys just let me do that for about a good 30 seconds. It's messed up, man. I was looking at my phone to see. It, was, it wasn't line. that long. And I, I was looking for the spread. <laughs> uh, I was like, I was saying, um, ESPN says 10 points. Um, so nine and a half, 10 points. Uh, but what I was surprised I was just looking at is the San Francisco 49ers defense. While I think we all look at it is probably the best defense in the NFL. They're, they're, they're ranked 17th, I think, 17th in passing uh, yards allowed. So the passing, uh, the Defending the pass is a little troublesome, for, can be, I guess, had for them. But their rush, uh, rushing defense is ranked second in the NFL. The one thing about this game is, uh, so I saw a, a quote from um, Pete Carroll, and I, I forget what it was, but it was along the lines of him basically being like, like, damn it, we got to play the 49ers, you know? And so I looked back at something the last two years. Right, so we both know we we all know that the Seahawks this year against the 49ers are 0 2. Um, the first game was a blowout. The second game, I'm forgetting the score off the top of my head. I think it was closer, but uh, the 49ers still won. So I looked back at the past two years, the head-to-head matchups. Seattle Seahawks were 4 0 against the 49ers the last two years, and it's interesting. I wonder who was the starting quarterback. For the Seattle Seahawks, when that was happening, do you guys happen to know the guy's name? I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh are you referring to Mister Unlimited? I- I'm talking about Russell, last name Wilson, man. Mr. All right. So, four and zero against the 49ers. I think if Russell Wilson was the starting quarterback for the Seattle team, is what I'm trying to say. This game would be a lot more closer. I think they probably split with the 49ers this year, if not sweep them. But this game, I I see the 49ers winning. I can see them easily winning by double-digit points. Uh, I just think that Geno is going to be had. I think Kenneth Walker is probably going to get limited a lot. And I think I don't think Geno can take advantage of the deficiencies in the San Francisco 49ers passing defense. So... That's the main issue with me. So I got the San Francisco 49ers winning. And it definitely hurts not having Jordan Brooks on this in this game, who's on IR. It would be a nice moment to have Jamal Adams back there, or Quadre Diggs and Tariq Woolen, but Adams has been on IR the last three months. If you look at the Seahawks' defense, I don't think they have enough horses either to really neutralize the San Francisco attack. One big, big addition 
is getting back Debo Samuel last week. Limited pitch count, we get that, but Debo is another playmaker that can, in a split second, completely change a game. And Brandon Ayuk, in his absence, continue to step up more and more. I just think this 49ers offense is way too explosive, and the job for Brock Purdy is going to be pretty easy. If he's not going to turn over the football, the Seahawks have no chance of winning this football game. He talked about the minus 10 spread. I would actually take the Seahawks to cover that. I feel like they're going to, later in the game, probably get within a score or so and make it a little bit closer than it's actually going to seem to be. But I'm sorry, Seahawks fans. I just I can't ride with you on this matchup. This is the best team you're playing in the NFC. I think next year for them, with the Broncos' first-round pick and their own first-round pick and the Broncos' second-round pick, will be the season where they take a step forward. You get a little bit healthier. Hopefully you build up that defense Maybe I had a weapon or two in the draft. And I think for Seattle, when you extend Geno Smith, because let's be very clear here, Geno has slowed down the second half of the season. But even the second half of the year from Geno was an above-average quarterback. You had an MVP in the first half of the season. Together, you had the best single season in the regular season alone, not the playoffs, that we've seen from a Seattle quarterback. I mean, he led the league, he led the team all time in a single season for passing yards. It was... A year where I had them winning four games. And rightfully, they over doubled that total. It's because Geno Smith, man. Respect him. Respect what he did this season. In spite of a ton of injuries and a ton of people doubting him, he had a top 10 season. So maybe I'm overrating him a little bit here. Maybe I'm a little bit biased. But the season he just had earned him so much money. So much. And You know, I'll be honest with you. My my reservation with that is we've seen so many one-year wonders in, in sports. I'm not going to say that Gino is exactly that, but what he did this year compared to all of his other appearances in the NFL, his two, se- two three seasons with the Jets, uh, his stint with the Giants, it, it wasn't impressive at all. I don't think he had a season where he threw more touchdowns than interceptions. Ben McAdoo benched Eli Manning for him and then got yeah, fired for Gino. Yeah, but my my point is, I, I don't know if necessarily, if I'm the Seahawks, am I going to jump the gun and say, this is our franchise guy? Is this the guy that you believe is going to lead you to a Super Bowl? Let me say this. Do you guys know how many offensive touchdowns from the offensive side of the ball uh, the Seahawks scored on the 49ers this year? We'll go off two. One. One. Let me guess, it was Tyler Lockett. I, I don't remember who it was, but they're outside. The other touchdown that they scored was a special team touchdown, a kick return by Mike Jackson. So this is a team that can't really score on this defense. They're struggling to move the ball downfield. Uh, the 49ers, best defense in football, clearly have the recipe to stop the Seahawks. Last game was a little bit closer, a one-possession game. But even going into that, we all knew who who was winning that game. Brock Purdy and George Kittle seem to have a special connection. And Christian McCaffrey is probably looking like one of the one of, if not the best midseason trade of all time. So, uh, yeah, I'll leave it. I'll go that far. I'll say that if CMC stays healthy, which he has been, the 49ers are going to the Super Bowl. And this is just round one. I think they'll they'll run through Seattle with ease. 
like you said, I think the Seahawks cover that uh that minus ten spread. But all in all, 49ers are gonna take this game. I have no doubt. Like I said, they'll be playing championship weekend. And real quick, rushing yards for the Seahawks versus the 49ers week two. Rashad Penny had six carries for fifteen yards. <laughs> Kenneth Walker had four for ten. I feel like they went away from the run too early in that game because they're down from behind early, but Still, when you neutralize them like that, they have no chance of putting points on the board. The second matchup in Week 15, Kenneth Walker had 14 carries for 47 yards. Or, tw- sorry, 12 carries for 47. They had 14 total as a team. So, this is going to be a pretty tough matchup for Kenneth, who had a strong end, three straight 100-yard games in the season. Next game up, we have, in my opinion, the best game of the weekend. The most exciting, highly anticipated matchup. Of Trevor Lawrence in Duval County hosting the Los Angeles Chargers and Justin Herbert. Two teams with much to prove. One team, quite frankly, playing with house money while the other had Super Bowl expectations coming into the season. There's a couple of injuries uh, on the Chargers side. Mike Williams suffered a back contusion last week in their Week 18 game. That's pretty huge for a player like that in this stage of the season. I want to head to you guys. Who will win this game? I have flipped about three or four times now, back and forth because of how special these two quarterbacks are. Decap, you want it? No, this is your game, Justin. You take it first. You guys know where I'm going with this game. I, I don't I don't like to turn tables too much. If I if I commit to a team, I'm gonna commit to that team. I did it with the 49ers on my AFC side. I've rolled with the Chargers for a while now. For me, what flipped the script was that game against the Miami Dolphins where their defense was incredible, absolutely making Tua look lost. It's almost uh, like he was seeing ghosts. So I'm going to go and I'm going to say the Chargers are going to win this game. I think it'll be a tough a tough one. It'll be a battle. Uh, the Chargers really need to start this game off strong. I think both teams really need a, a good start. I think uh, it's going to be whoever wins the time of possession is going to win this game. Whoever can keep the the ball out of the other quarterback's hands the most is going to win this one. I love Justin Herbert, and I think uh, he's just scratching the ceiling here, man. He He's going to blow through the ceiling, and we're going to see him shine this postseason. You know, going into this, you guys told me to find my playoff predictions from earlier in the year. I had an AFC championship game of Buffalo versus the Chargers. And I don't know what it will look like if the Chargers win this game, if that's still possible. But if it is, I'm going to roll with that. I'm going to stick with my guns and say, Chargers are going to the AFC Championship game. This is step one. They'll roll through the Jaguars and whoever's up next. I really believe in what Justin Herbert can do. I love Keenan Allen. I don't know if Mike Williams is healthy for this game. Do you guys know? I think he will play at the stakes, but he will be limited. Okay. And then Austin Eckler has just been an absolute touchdown machine. I think the Jaguars are going to have their hands full. It was a nice story this year, and it's the beginning of something very great for the Jaguars. But the same can be said about the Chargers. This is both Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert's first two first playoff appearances. It should be a movie, but I'm rolling with the L.A. boy. I'm going with Justin Herbert. I want to remind you guys real quick. Before you jump in, Brandon, these two guys played earlier in the season in Los Angeles, and it was anything but a movie. Well, if it was a movie, a horror movie, because um, I was just about to reference that game. The score was 38 to 10 Jacksonville. Now, albeit it was week three. All right. It was 
these teams are completely different from what they were now uh, to what they were then. Uh, but just a couple of things popped out looking at the uh, box score of this game. One thing is, I don't remember if Austin Eckler got injured in this game or they just completely shut down the run game because uh, he had four carries for five yards. Uh, the entire L.A. Chargers team, 12 carries for 26 yards rushing. Uh, Keenan Allen did not play in this game, so he was not there, But and he'll be there this week. But some people that did, Derwin James played, um, and Joey Bosa was there playing, and Khalil Mack, obviously. Now, here was what Justin Herbert did that game. He was 25 of 45, 297 yards, a touchdown, an interception, a fumble, sacked once, and a 30.1 QBR. Now let's flip it to the Jacksonville Jaguar side. Rushing-wise, this was when James Robinson was on the team. He had 17 carries for 100 yards and a touchdown. In total, 36 carries, 151 yards, and a touchdown for the Jacksonville Jaguars team. And Trevor Lawrence... 28 of 39, 262 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, no sacks, and a 70 QBR. Now, I lay that out because I do believe now that Travis Etienne is the starting running back, I think that the the, the Jaguars are going to be able to run comfortably on the Los Angeles Chargers. I think that they can – I think their defense can cause a little havoc for Justin Herbert. Joey Bosa coming back is big, but also how much of Joey Bosa are we going to get? So for me, when I think about this game in Jacksonville, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think the weather is pretty clear for this game, right? Because I know Jacksonville, yeah, it's going to be 56 degrees, I think partly cloudy. So you're not going to get the Jacksonville weather of, of heavy rain or anything like that. So it should be a clean game. But I'm taking the Jacksonville Jaguars to win this game. I I would say it's going to be a lot closer. It's going to be a lot closer than their first matchup in Week Three. I would say it's going to probably be. I think John mentioned this last episode. It's going to be a high-scoring game. I would agree. I think. I think both teams could probably get to 30 points. Uh, but I have Jacksonville just uh, etching it out. FanDuel's favoring the Chargers at minus two and a half. Yeah, it's a minus two and a half. I, I think it, yeah, it's going to be a very close game. Well, I guess who would be like, having well, the? Sorry, I, I could just see. I could see maybe a game-winning field goal ending this game. I would agree with you. I think this game, guys, is going overtime. I think the Trevor Lawrence Justin Herbert matchup will be the game of the week, at least in the NFC. Now, talking about these two defenses for Jacksonville. They're more vulnerable against the pass. And that's something for this Chargers offense with Keenan Allen, just his presence in the mix really does bode well for them. So we've got two elite quarterbacks and two elite running backs. You flip the sides and in terms of what defense is better against the run. Well, like at the numbers this year, and the Jaguars are about middle of the pack, give or take. The Chargers... They gave up the fifth most rushing yards in football. So Travis Etienne in this matchup could have himself a day, and so could Austin Eckler. So you look at how good these weapons are alongside these receivers, the connection they've built throughout this year. For Justin Herbert, he hasn't had his weapons for most of the season, but in past seasons. I'm going with the Jaguars. 
I'm rocking with the better head coach, and I'm rocking with the quarterback who I think is closely getting to the level of Justin Herbert. I don't think he's less capable, just a matter of proving it. And this weekend is the week that Justin feels. This week is the week that Trevor Lawrence establishes himself as a franchise quarterback. It should already be signed and sealed, but if you had any reservations coming off of his rookie year, this is the statement game. Saturday, January 14th. Yep, that's January 14th at 8.15 at TIAA Bank Stadium. Well, Brandon, you said this game... You said this game will be decided by a field goal. AFC Special Teams Player of the Month is Chargers kicker Cameron Dicker. So if uh, it's going to come up to anybody's leg, it's this guy. He's, he was 11 of 12 on field goals this month. He was hot. Well, I, I do want to say if John's right and this game goes go to overtime, I think this is going to be the first time we're going to see the new play, uh, rules, uh, overtime playoff rules, where uh, both teams mm-hmm. are going to get the opportunity to uh, uh, touch the ball. So it'll be interesting. A conveniently new added playoff rule just for the highest stakes in games. Fun fact, Jamal Agnew, the much beloved Jaguars kick and punt returner, feels like much more of that fan base. He's from San Diego, which is where the Chargers formerly are from. I thought that was a fun fact. Moving on to the next game. This one is a little bit disappointing. The Miami Dolphins at the Buffalo Bills. The Dolphins squeaked into the playoffs by their skin of their teeth with a Week 18 win versus the Jets, but they're going to be uh, a couple of players down and a couple of pretty big ones at that in Buffalo on Sunday. They're going to be missing Tua Tagovailoa, who has not cleared concussion protocols. And you look back at the Dolphins this year; they're head-to-head record versus the Bills. They're one and one. They got a uh, a narrow victory earlier in the season, and then more recently after Thanksgiving. The two teams faced off, and that was the one game the Dolphins' offense actually showed up. A little bit of a fun fact. In that game versus the Bills, Tua Tungavailoa, with all the allegations he couldn't throw in the cold, had himself eh, a decent game, but more importantly, they put up 29 points. So the Dolphins' offense showed with Raheem Mostert just churning out yards. That guy's had a really underrated season. They can play in this type of weather. They've shown an ability to play close both at home and on the road. But when you look at the injuries for this game, Raheem Mostert as well. I'm not sure if he's been rolled out officially, but I don't think he's going to be playing either. This is an unfortunate one because, you know, it's cool to see divisional opponents, you know, go at it for that third time, especially when a team is healthy. Classic Ravens-Steelers playoff games, always intense. I remember I, I wasn't too fond of it, but Jets-Patriots, even though the Jets had the better half of us that night, those are always intense football games, that you, and you always want to see those matchups. So this is one that I was looking forward to, but unfortunately with Tua ruled out, uh, understandably so, you know, we hope he gets better with dealing with these concussions. But uh, with him not on the field, I really don't believe this Miami team has a chance. I mean, how many points did they score last week against the Jets? Nine. I don't think nine points is going to be enough to beat the Buffalo Bills. If you can't find a way to get it into the end zone, then there's just really no business of you being on the field. Uh, It sucks that it had to be this way, but I'm going to just say this is a walk in the park for Buffalo. I think Josh Allen has a big game. 
Uh, honestly, this is feels like one of those games where they can get a big lead and probably rest their starters. I know they won't do that, but uh, that's the kind of game I expect this to be. Raheem Mostert's questionable, by the way. Didn't practice with thumb injury. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's not much more to say on it. I mean, this game is most likely going to be a blowout. Uh, yeah, I, I, you guys said it all. Really, I echo all your guys' statements. The Buffalo, I, I expect the Buffalo Bills to win and win big. And that says something for this Buffalo team. We didn't really get to fully talk about it. Jamar Hamlin, the good news, he's uh, returned to Buffalo and he's recovering. That is uh, really a cool story to see how well and all the hard work that all of the EMTs, the people at the hospital, the doctors, the nurses, they do that every single day. And so to see them make just an everyday thing, save the life of Jamar Hamlin, for this Bills team, they've responded so well. And you guys saw that with... uh, Two kick return touchdowns in week 18. We know this Bills team is incredibly talented. It may be the most gifted, the most skilled team in football, whatever you want to call it. They're up there. But they're also playing with a little bit more energy. They're a little bit more lively. I feel like they're feeling good. And they're really one of two ways I feel like they could have responded to that injury. And the better way seems that they're trending in that direction. So that for them makes this an even more meaningful game. Their first playoff game without DeMar. We're praying for him. We're wishing him well, thinking about him. And the meanwhile, I think Buffalo is going to cover the spread, whatever it is. I'm not even quite sure. 13. 13 point spread. And, I do uh, want to say, um, I wonder if uh, DeMar Hamlin is going to be at this game. Because it's in Buffalo, you know, up in one of the press boxes. I don't know if he's able to you know, leave his home or whatever. Uh, but it'd be a great sight to see him at the game. I know his the fans would go absolutely nuts for that. So, but I, I if not this game, I do expect uh, Demar Hamlin to be at one of the Buffalo Bills playoff games. It's gonna be a great sight to see. Absolutely, and you touched on it. I didn't mention it. Demar has been discharged from the Buffalo hospital as well yesterday. So that's even cooler, man. It's mm-hmm. it's. It's heartwarming in many ways, and um, his health goes before anything. But seeing that sight, that would be one special moment this weekend. So that's really it for this Bills-Dolphins game, man. I feel for Tyler Thompson. I do want to say I was correct, though, when I said last week when we were doing our pick it didn't matter which team got the seventh seed in the AFC. They were going to get bounced. No, I think we all – yeah, we all knew that. The Steelers played the Bills earlier in the season, and it was a 30-point blowout. Yeah, well – See, that's all I'm saying. Let's move on. Moving on. Giants at Vikings. Minnesota will be hosting this game where they're a 3-3 point favorite. Justin said earlier in the season, the biggest, the most important home field advantage is in Minnesota. There is nothing more important for that Viking team than to get to play with that home crowd, the school chance, and really in that environment. A natural comfy dome to really make Kirk Cousins feel his best at noon. What a better time for Kirk to show out and eliminate Brian Day Ball and the New York football giants. But the New York giants are playing with some house money in this game. And you know what I'm going to tell you? 
Daniel Jones, Brian Dable, and this New York Giants defense led by Wink Martindale are going to surprise a lot of people in Minnesota. The Vikings in this game are going to be without Brian O'Neill, one of the best right tackles in football. Shout out to him, Pitt alumni, and Garrett Bradbury, their center as well, is questionable. If he does not play, they'll be down to their third string center. And in the process, the Giants are getting more healthy. Saquon Barkley, Xavier McKinney, Kayvon Thibodeau, Aziz Ojolari, one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. I'm going to tell you guys right now, and I've said it before, the Vikings are frauds. I know a lot of their fans don't want to hear it, and I'm a fan of the team, but there's a reason they're a 13-win squad with a negative point differential. They were the third worst, or the third, the second worst team in the NFC North, the NFC East, the NFC North, Jesus, John. They probably should not be here hosting a playoff game, and I think we're going to see the Giants on Sunday throw Kirk Cousins off, rattle him in the late moments, and I like their Christmas Eve showing, stun the football world. The Giants are being the Minnesota Vikings. Mm. Just miles? Just miles, that's it? You want, do you, Justin, do you want to go? or? Yeah, I'll go because I figured you have a different take. Um, listen, I think this is the sexiest pick of the week everybody's going to pick this one. If we're going to pick an upset, everybody's going the Giants. And, and so am I. I've been high on the Giants train this year. I said they were going to beat Minnesota and Minnesota a couple weeks ago, and they just fell short in what was probably Daniel Jones's best game of the season. Uh, it was the emergence of Isaiah Hodgins as well. Richie James had a great game. Darius Slayton was showing out. Saquon Barkley had a nice game. Um, but I'd like to highlight Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, that game, was making throws, man. He was making plays, stepping up in the pocket, just reading the field. He was dicing him up. And while he did throw one interception and, and ultimately was knocked out by Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins made some big throws when he needed to. And the Giants' defense just got absolutely torched by Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson. I think we'll be singing a different tune this Sunday. I expect the Giants to be bringing their A game. I expect Minnesota to struggle out of the gate. And I think the Giants are going to run away with this one. It'll be a close one because I think I just have too much respect for the, the home field advantage of what Minnesota can be with those skull chants. And Justin Jefferson is just so good. TJ Hawkinson has been a great addition for uh, Kirk Cousins. But I do like what the Giants got going on, man. They're just playing with charisma. They play with a, uh, I don't know, they're, they're, you could tell that they're brothers out there on that field, that they're fighting for one another. They're playing for their head coach. The Giants just feel a little different. And I'm not going to jump the gun and say that this team might have a little bit of pixie dust over them, like those years in 07 and 11, but they're special. And this is the beginning of something that's going to be a years of success with Brian Dable. Um, so I'm going to roll with uh, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and those Giants. I do think they get it done here on the road. They've had a spectacular season up to this point, and I think this just uh, they just pile it on. Oh, man, guys. So I've been called a Kirk Cousins hater, but surprisingly i'm going to be the only person on the show to be taking the minnesota vikings in the in the playoffs this week so 
I mean, you look back at their game they just played a couple of weeks ago, the Vikings versus the Giants, and it was in Minnesota. Daniel Jones played – he played good, uh, 334 yards, a touchdown interception. Best game uh, of the season, I'd argue, passing-wise. His I mean, only passing, game of 30 completions. I mean, passing, two with 300 yards. I mean, passing yards-wise, yeah, but, but I mean, throwing touchdown, wise, interception, got sacked three times. Fumbled it, but didn't lose the fumble. Um, Saquon had a okay game, 14 carries, 84 yards, and a touchdown. But look at this Vikings. Now Kirk had a he had a, a a pretty good game, almost 300 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, Dalvin Cook, 14 for 64. But this is what I look at. Justin Jefferson, 12 receptions for a buck 33 and a touchdown. And TJ Hawkinson, 13 receptions for 109 yards and two touchdowns. So when I look at that, I, I just, I, I got to say, I don't think Kirk Cousins is going to um, crap the bed here. I think that's going to be safe for next round. I think his defense will. It could, but I, I think that... Um, I think that they can. Uh, I think the the Vikings defense can get a turnover on Daniel Jones. Now uh, it depends on when that turnover occurs. If it happens earlier in the game, it might affect the the outcome of the game heavily. But they would definitely, obviously, you'd want a turnover later in the game. But I think the Vi- the the Vikings defense can get a turnover on Daniel Jones. Uh, so as long as Kirk plays a uh, a a clean game. And Justin Jefferson has a big day like he did last time these two teams played. I expect the Vikings to go in there, take care of business on their home fields, and win a playoff game. You know, Brandon. What do you know, Joe? I told you earlier in the season that Kirk Cousins wasn't the issue with Minnesota. He never has been. He never was. Too many fourth quarter game-winning drives, too many comebacks, too much production. All season long, it's been the defense. In spite of the Giants, one terrible play in that game in the fourth quarter was a Richie James drop on third and five. He's had a good amount of those this year. That led to a 55-yard field goal. There were many opportunities in that game. A Daniel Bellinger fumble. In the red zone. Daniel John, you talked about Daniel Jones had a fumble as well. The Giants, in spite of Saquon not having a good game, scored 24 points. What does that say about the Vikings defense? What does that say about Daniel Jones? A quarterback who coming into this year was on the rocks. Nobody believed in him. Most expecting to win no more than six games. To find himself in the postseason. To be an underdog in this matchup on the road. I look at this Giants offense, and all year long, it was it was built on Saquon Barkley, him being the guy. But I look at Daniel Jones and see a quarterback that, against this Vikings defense, has a real opportunity to show us who he really is. A chance to change a narrative. And on the biggest stage, against a top 15, top 12 quarterback, establish himself in the upper echelon in the NFL. I'm not quite exactly the biggest Daniel Jones guy, but... The last time he played them, he was awesome. And this is the game for me that will really determine for New York whether or not they're going to give him this pretty big, hefty contract in the offseason or just franchise tag him and look to use him as a bridge. 
this right here is the biggest game of Daniel Jones' career. And when I look at what he's done this season, let me tell you one thing for sure. I know he believes in himself. And when you have that guy in Brian Dable, the first offensive play caller who's really brought the most out of a, a team, a collection of parts that were miscast, I feel an energy to this Giants team you talked about, Jay Ray. It's a special one. And with what they have from the front seven, you know, Xavier McKinney back off injury, Julian Love at safety, this for me might be my favorite game this week in the NFC slate. I, th I think this is my favorite game of the week, period. This is this is the game of the week. I, I feel like all the other games, while we might have some enticing ones, this is the one that's going to feel like a real playoff experience. Like I said, there's so much on the line here. Uh, Minnesota has to make a decision if they're going to continue with Kirk Cousins or not. Is the window closed for their Super Bowl hopes? And like you said, the Giants, this is a big show for, for Daniel Jones, his first playoff appearance here. And he has an opportunity to go into Minnesota, a place that he's already played in this season, and go out there and blow the doors off, you know? This is a big opportunity for the Giants, and, and as I said before, I think they're going to seize it. Giants will win this one. I'll, you know what? And I'll flip the score. I'll say 27-24 Giants. They lost 27-24 against Minnesota previously. And one more thing. Dory Jackson did not play in their first matchup together. He's trending toward getting out there in this game. What capacity will be at? We're going to find out on Sunday. But just having their, Q, their CB1 out there makes an immediate difference relative to their last matchup. Anything else you guys would like to add before we move on to our next game of the week? Let's go Big Blue. JQ. <laughs> so we covered the noon slate. The last game before Monday night, Monday night for the playoffs, is our Ravens at Bengals matchup. The story of this game is whether or not Lamar Jackson is going to play. He has not practiced up until this point, and you would like to think Lamar is going to play in the biggest game of the Ravens season. <sighs> I'm pretty disappointed. And not necessarily any player specifically, but just Lamar Jackson not being healthy. I'm not disappointed on Lamar, but if Lamar were playing this game, with the way the Ravens want to win games after the Roquan Smith trade and extension, I think this minus 8.5 line in favor of Cincinnati would be pretty darn close to neutral in this game. Pretty close to even. This Ravens defense has been incredible in the second half of the season. They found a pretty good role for Kyle Hamilton, gained the most out of his skill set. Roquan Smith has made an immediate difference. It's really elevated Patrick Queen. They've gotten a little bit more versatility, a little bit more juice on the edge. This Ravens defense is elite. And that Ravens offense with Lamar in the fold makes them incredibly dynamic in a split second. For Cincinnati in this game to go up potentially against a rookie quarterback in Anthony Brown, one, it disappoints me. The best rookie quarterback is Kenny Pickett, and he is not a rookie quarterback playing this weekend. There are three other ones. If Anthony Brown's out there, this is going to be an ugly blowout. The Ravens are not going to move the ball, as is they don't have a they don't have a, a receiver. They can't move the ball vertically. And if they're going to struggle with a one-dimensional approach, DJ Reader in this game, he's just going to bludgeon the run. It's going to make it a lot easier for the corners in the back end. They can do some nickel, some packages focusing on just preventing any potential big plays. And ultimately, I think because Lamar is probably not going to be at full capacity if he does play, the Bengals are going to cover this spread, unfortunately. 
And it's a shame, quite frankly, that for a second straight season, Baltimore, they've really collapsed the second half of the season. This time around, they, they just barely squeaked in the playoffs like a year ago. The real shame with Baltimore is you can go back on their schedule to so many of those games that they blew and say this team should have ran away with the division or at least had it on lock going into week 18. I can look looking back at the the Miami game. I mean, come on, guys. Like there's just so many losses there that you you just look at it and say. You had it. You absolutely had it. But they let it go. The loss to, to Buffalo, the loss to Miami, uh, losing to the Giants. Jaguars. All games that they should have won, they they gave up. So they find themselves in a position where they're going into Cincinnati, playing against Joe Burrow after you just got smacked by them last week, potentially not playing with Lamar. Uh, this is this is going to be an ugly one, which is exactly why I said the Giants Vikings one is probably the best game because this would this would easily be a showstopper, but. If Lamar's not on the other side of the field, I don't see it being remotely close. I don't know how the Ravens' offense could even keep up with the Cincinnati Bengals. That's unfortunately uh, the way the cookie's going to crumble for Baltimore. Is this this might be the last time we ever see Lamar in a Ravens uniform? Or have we already seen a loss of Lamar in a Ravens? Yeah, have probably we? We have. He'll. We, I think we'll see him maybe on the sideline, but I don't know what's to come with him and his contract. Uh, do the Ravens really want him or they, they, they want him, but at a certain price. And uh, I just don't know, but I think the Bengals are going to run away with this one. I think the real show is going to be next week when we see those big games and we see those quarterbacks going up toe to toe. Uh, this is just wild card weekend. The real fun starts in the divisional round. Mm-hmm. Bengals win. Um, Yeah, I agree. The Bengals are going to win this game uh, pretty handedly in my opinion. Uh, to answer your question, no, I think Lamar is going to be a Baltimore Raven. Uh, I think they're going to possibly get a deal done. If not, a franchise tag is most likely going to come, and then they're going to work out the long-term deal. But I think uh, Lamar is going to be a Baltimore Raven. Uh, one thing playing in the favor for the Ravens, uh, they might be able to take take advantage of it, but I don't think that it's going to change the outcome of this game. But it's going to affect the Bengals going forward if this uh, – so Alex Kappa is out for this game, and uh, um, Lyle Collins, he's uh, out for the season. So that's some uh, big injuries on the offensive line. Two guys you brought in uh, to help change life. Uh, so there's no hoping for Lyle Collins coming back next week. He's out, but hopefully Alex Kappa can come back next week because if he's not back next week, if they play the Chiefs, against Chris Jones and Frank Clark or the uh, 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 Bills or Jaguars, that's going to be tough sledding. And Joe Burrow might be <laughs> – the Bengals might be reverting back to last year where Joe Burrow's taking seven, eight sacks a game and having to overcome those uh, long yardage uh, situations. But I got the Bengals uh, winning this game. You talked about Alex Cap has an ankle injury. And you, you look at the season for them, they've – Dealt with a lot of different injuries. T. Higgins. Man, I love T. He takes a lot of shots. And I think last week he took another one. He's currently questionable uh, with an illness. So it's unrelated. But that's one thing I noticed with this game. Like, he gets hit with some ridiculous hits. Some of which I'm not even sure if they're legal. Minka hit with him with one that was earlier in the year, I remember. Um, and outside of that for this game, 
I have to say one thing, is that this Bengals defense with Lou Anarumel is elite as well. I talked about the Ravens defense and how their linebacking duo is probably the best in the AFC. The Bengals defense, even with all of their injuries this season, Hendrickson, Awuzie being out for the season, Hilton got beamed up at one point, you're missing TJ uh, Reader. I think he was an IR. They've overcome all of that and still been a top 10 unit. And that's a credit to one of the best defensive coordinators in football who has done a fantastic job really reducing the limitations they have in the back end and getting the most out of those corners, those defensive backs. Their team's going to generate a ton of pressure, and I think the key player in this matchup is DJ Reader for that reason. He's great against the run. That's the only way the Ravens can even move the ball. So that's why I think the Bengals in this matchup are good. This is probably going to be the most lobs out of game, I think, in my humble opinion. There's going to uh... – but like Justin said, next week, the AFC is going to pick up a lot. I mean, you're probably going to – if our predictions are right, Kansas City versus Jacksonville, and then we're going to uh, get to see the Buffalo versus Cincinnati game, but this time in the playoffs with all the marbles, uh, all the chips pushed to the center of the table. So, let's go. It, my, my my X factor for this one is going to be Jamar Chase. I think Jamar Chase, he, he's – beating the daylights out of the Ravens the last couple from last year. I think in both games, he went crazy on, on Baltimore. And uh, I think, <laughs> I think he'll do a little more of that uh, this weekend. He scored a touchdown last week on them. I expect a 100 yard plus day out of Jamar chase. Yeah. The first time I played him the season, he had seven catches, 50 yards and a close loss. Man, I just wish Lamar was playing. Well, look up his numbers from last season against Baltimore. I don't even know if I want to. Is that the game Bram sat out in the uh, fantasy football championship game? No, that was against the Chiefs, right? (laughs) Last year, Jamar Chase against the Chiefs, uh, I remember had one monster game memory serves. Moving on to the last game of the wild card slate is a highly anticipated matchup between two vastly overrated teams, the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers almost didn't make it to this point, but they did with a narrow come-from-behind victory against the Carolina Panthers in Week 17. Week 18, the rest are stars in the second half, and they finished the season with the first losing record in Tom Brady's career. Not one time in 22 years. Or wait, is it 23, Brandon? Spent 20 in New England, 3 in Tampa. One 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 of the numbers. The most important player in this game, the most important thing this week we can learn about the Dallas Cowboys is who Dak Prescott really is. Now, I went as far to call him a system quarterback last week. Maybe I was pushing it a little bit. But there's one thing I do know for certain. When Dak Prescott was paid $40 million a year to be the Cowboys' franchise face, it was for moments like this. Tom Brady doesn't lose close games like this against teams like that. Versus quarterbacks who have not proven themselves in the postseason. In fact, are 1-3 in in the postseason. He's a player that's always going to find a way in the second half of games to overcome the odds and flip a script. The Cowboys are a team that really relies on the running game to open up everything with Tony Pollard. But with Vita Vea and Akeem Hicks, Brandon... How has this Buccaneers defense been this year? You've had a keen eye on them. Uh, yeah, I sent yeah, both you guys a screenshot 
of a uh, a stat, I guess you would say, and John was being a, a wise ass, but it said um, when Vita Vea and Akeem Hicks play ten plus snaps this season, the Buccaneers are five and one. Uh, that obviously has a lot to do with them being able to hold the, hold the uh, run game down, and uh, I expect both of them to uh, play ten plus snaps this game. Now I've 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 stayed on my train. I've stayed on the wagon with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I said I'm going down with the ship. Uh, they're still they're still my Super Bowl uh, prediction for this year, and I think it starts this week. I think a lot of people are gonna say. I mean, listen, Tom Brady undefeated against the Dallas Cowboys, but as we've seen this year, because of the team surrounding him, a lot of his records that I guess aren't so prestigious but they're just like good records to you know have and stuff like that a lot of them have gone down this year because of uh this tampa bay buccaneers team i mean he was undefeated against atlanta uh he just lost to atlanta uh he's he, there was that one where he he was up at halftime for a certain amount of points or something like that and he lost that one uh so there's been a lot of it's been a lot a down season for tom obviously and this tampa bay buccaneers team but Rewinding back to week one, which was probably the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' second best game they've played this season behind the Carolina Panthers game. That was when the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers' run uh, rushing attack showed up. You know, Leonard Fournette had 21 for uh, 127 yards. That's when Dak got injured late in the game and Cooper Rush had to come in. But like I said, one of the main key differences was Shaq Barrett was playing. Uh, and Shaq Barrett was really that pass rush. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers really don't have a very good pass rush right now. It's probably, you would consider it bad. Uh, they got some guys who, you know, they scrap, they claw, but they're just not very talented. And they're going up against the offensive line that is pretty damn good in gaining chemistry uh, for the last couple of weeks. I don't think it's, you know, impossible for the Cowboys to come out and win this game. I mean, we would, I think we could all agree the Cowboys have a better team in every aspect of this team. The Cowboys have a better team, except for the most valuable position, the position that touches the ball the most, the position that we put all the praise and all the blame on quarterback. That's the one position you look at and you say, Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a better uh, player at that position. It's the quarterback position. So when it comes down to that, if the if the Bucks defense can hold this Cowboys offense down, keep it close, the Bucks play a, a pretty clean game. It's going to be tough. Uh, but listen, man. I mean, Micah. If you look at him for the last like I think six weeks of the season, I think he has one and a half sacks. If I'm not mistaken, for the last six weeks of the season, he's been really a non-factor, and that's what really dropped him out of the Defensive Player of the Year award race because he had a hot start and then he just really you know tailed off towards the end i don't know if that's running out of gas i don't know if that hand injury is really bothering him more than he's leading on but i i expect tampa to go in there in tampa win a close game i want to check the weather for this game is it, is it rainy or anything it's in tampa nope 68 degrees nice and oh, 68 degrees man <laughs> um what i would give for that but I got Tampa Bay taking this game, a very close game. I could see it being low scoring. It's it's probably got to be more low scoring for Tampa Bay to come out with it. So maybe like 21 to 
17, 21 to 18, something like that. I mean, 21, sorry, 21 to 18. That's what I said. A few things to keep in mind in this matchup. Mike had more sacks in their week one matchup than he did all season after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Second, this is probably going to be an ugly game. I'm expecting it to be somewhere in the teens down to the last few minutes. Whoever touched the ball, whoever touches the ball last, I think will determine this game. And I have a pretty good feeling if it comes down to the Cowboys on the last drive against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, the Cowboys are going to lose. If Tom Brady gets the ball at the end of the fourth quarter, whatever the score is, I think this Buccaneers offense is going to find some way against a pretty neutralized Cowboys secondary, I might add, after losing Donovan Wilson, Donovan Wilson, Milson, and Jordan Lewis. There are they are vulnerable on the back end. Anthony Brown too. Anthony Brown. I think for this Cowboys team, they're gonna still do a good job. They're gonna get to Brady, but if there's anybody I trust to to find a way, I've already learned one time this year, and I lost twenty dollars because of it. I'm not gonna make that same mistake twice. Never fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, put the blame on me, man. I, I can't I can't do it a second time. There's one guy in sports. You never bet against Floyd Mayweather. No, Tom Brady. <laughs> so uh, honestly, for me, uh, Brandon, you said you know the Cowboys are a better team. Besides, uh, you know everything on that team is better besides the quarterback. I would argue if I had to pick, I would choose Tampa's receiving core over Dallas's. I love Chris Godwin. I love Mike Evans. Mm-hmm. I would take those two over CD and Michael Gallup. Nine times out of ten. Hmm. I love what the, the the Buccaneers got going on these last couple of weeks, and I'm here to tell you guys I think they're back. I think right now they're oh everybody's oh and oh. It's a clean slate. It's li- literally like a, a second week one for, for, for the Tampa. They went up against this team in week one. Here we go again. You're zero and zero. Clean slate. Now it's time to wake it up. And you know what? You guys keep saying it's gonna be an ugly one in the teens. I see it being I see a lot of points being scored. I see Tampa winning this game 30 to 26. I think Tom Brady's going to put up points. I think Mike Evan and him are back. I think Chris Godwin is playing well. Uh, I don't know how Fournette is going to play. Is it going to be uh, more Fournette or Rashad White? I don't know what the running back situation is going to be. Uh, probably a, a nice dose of both. But I see Tampa winning this game. And I think a lot of people are going to be rethinking how they feel about Tampa when they blow the doors off of Dallas this week, because I'll be honest with you. I'm with Brandon there. We had high expectations for the bucks in in the preseason. I actually had the bucks going to the super bowl. Uh, I had bucks versus bills and and the Buffalo bills uh, coming out on top, but I'm still rolling with the 49ers on that one. But yeah, anyways, back on the bucks. I I, I'm still going to say, yo, I think Tom Brady is, he's the greatest of all time. And, I don't want to bet against him here. Undefeated against Dallas. It's a wild card round. Of all the teams he can lose to, it's not going to be this one. It won't be this one. Like I always say, Dallas is going to Dallas. They're going to find a way to to steal the headlines, and they're never in headlines for good reasons. It's usually because they lost. And so, they're overrated before that point, though. So mo- Monday morning, uh, excuse the sirens, but uh, Monday morning we'll be hearing – is Mike McCarthy on the hot seat? Tuesday, Tuesday morning. 
Oh, this is the Monday night game. So Tuesday morning, (laughs) Mike McCarthy on the hot seat, Sean Payton, blah, blah, blah. Let's, let's, let's let's dive into that because I wanted to talk about that one thing before we jump off that, but this is the healthiest Tampa Bay has been probably since week one. So that's a good sign, but let's jump into that discussion real quick. The Dallas Cowboys. So I want to pose this because I already have my answer. If Mike McCarthy and the doubt, because John said his first statement, I think, was this is going to show us who Dak Prescott really is. I think that couldn't be farther from the truth. I I, I don't think if the Dallas Cowboys lose this game, I, my opinion on Dak is going to change. Uh, I, my, my full blame is going to be on Mike McCarthy because I don't believe in Mike McCarthy. And this is where the question comes in. If the Cowboys go ahead and lose the game, wherever, whatever it might be, close, blowout, is should Jerry Jones relieve Mike McCarthy of his duties? Well, first off, I want to say this, my friend. If Dak Prescott puts up a stinker, you're still not going to put blame on him? No, because I believe that it's more to do with Mike McCarthy not having the team ready. Okay, maybe I'm on a different, completely different island here. The reason I'm so critical of McCarthy is because of like late game management, negligence, lack of detail... It's not not necessarily a lack of preparation. So if Dak just altogether has a terrible game, you still wouldn't be hypercritical. You wouldn't even acknowledge, hey, look, Dak's the reason they lost this game. If he throws a pick six, a second turnover, right. and maybe finish like a pick, If he throws a pick six to end the game, yes, but Which my full blame is going if my full blame is going to be on Mike McCarthy. I'm not my my opinion, I guess. I'm saying my opinion on Dak Prescott's not going to change. I'm not going to move him up. I'm not going to move him down because I believe that if you go get, and this is where the question comes in, if you go get a Sean Payton or Jim Harbaugh, I believe Dak Prescott's going to take a big jump forward because he's finally got a coach that's actually got skills. Let's be honest. Like, I don't know, like everybody talk, what does Mike McCarthy really do? What does he really do? Is he a motivator? I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the Dallas Cowboys on Hard Knocks when he tried to give that motivational speech. It, 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 he's not a motivator. He's really not uh, got these crazy schemes that are incredible. Like we've all stated, his clock management, his time management, his management on challenges. His, his staff specifically, Kellen Moore well, and Dan Well, no, Dan Kellen Quinn, Moore and Dan Quinn get a hard – I think they are good at what they do. I do think – I don't think they're great, but I think they're good at what they do. Um, like I said, Kellen Moore, can he get cute at times? Yes, and he's got to cut that out. But a lot of offensive coordinators get cute. I mean, you look at it, it it's just the difference between, I mean, you look at Andy Reid. He gets cute all the time. Right but, around the rosy, baby. Why not? And I thought that was so disrespectful. <laughs> I thought that was just, this is just them being way too cocky at what they do. Um, but Oh, they're ready. Uh, that's fine. They can be ready. Um, but back to the Cowboys, I, I just think, and I and I do, I do think lack of preparation is is something Mike McCarthy struggles with. I don't think he he prepares that Washington Commanders team game. They weren't prepared to play that game. They weren't. They came out so sluggish. They looked a lot of them looked like they didn't really want to play or be there or whatever because they felt like the, the the playoffs were pretty wrapped up. And Mike McCarthy, you got to put blame on Mike McCarthy for him not having his team ready to go out and play. So uh, again, my question, I, I believe if they go out and lose this game, Mike McCarthy's got to go, he's got to go because you brought Jerry Jones brought him in because he said, we finally got a coach with super bowl pedigree. Well, you got that guy. And what has he done for you? What's he done for you? 
The first season, you can kind of wash away because Dak suffered that injury. So you won't put that much blame on Mike McCarthy. Last season, what happened? This season, what happened? You got to go, especially with Sean Payton and Jim Harbaugh on the on the free agent uh, market for head coaches. You, Jerry, you got to dive in. And he's finally got he's got to put his goddamn ego. If that statement that he made years ago was true, I would I would sign a blank check to win a Super Bowl. Well, you got Sean Payton, Jim Harbaugh out there. If you don't fire Mike McCarthy, if he loses this game, that was a bold faced lie. And it's not, I will do anything and everything to win a Super Bowl. It's, I will do anything and everything. So I'm the main reason we win a Super Bowl. Jerry, let's go. You got the talent on the team. Give Dak a goddamn head coach. And I guarantee going into next season, they will be one of the favorites talked about if you have Sean Payton and Jim Harbaugh as the head coach. And I will be riding that train hard. If that's the case, hard. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. The Jim Harbaugh thing, it doesn't entice me as much. I, I don't understand how people think that this guy has been out of the league for how long. What do you have to do with anything, Justin? It does make it does. It does have a big, big thing yeah, to do with it. It's been nine years. What, last nine scene, years. Last seen, what was he doing? Losing an NFC championship game. Oh, Losing an NFC championship game. Okay, but he, okay, but then again, this is nine, ten years ago, and he's underachieved at Michigan. So we we no, expect come this. on. He brought that team up from 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 down under. Yes, okay, is, is, and, has and he, has you're he telling fallen, me has he fallen hey, in the biggest stages? Yes. Okay, yes. which I but call an underachievement. I think you can I'm say so, he's Michigan is a premier school. And you expect that team to win the big games, which they don't. So also, I think how, how do we expect better... him to walk into Dallas and all of a sudden make this team a Super Bowl contender? We don't I know do. what he's going to be. I if do. you're gonna if you're gonna go after one coach, I'm with you. You go all in for Sean Payton. But guess what? You're not the only one there. I'm There's gonna be a lot of teams throwing their hats on that on that table. He's going to Dallas, Justin. Come on. I got a question. Dallas is open. He's going to Dallas. Has Dak peaked? No. Especially if you give him Sean Payton, has he peaked? Do you think Sean Payton can improve? This is this is a a real question for John because I know John (laughs) has a a strong opinion on this. Have we seen the best of Dak Prescott? Do we know what his ceiling is? No, we have not. No. I think there's more for him to show in the postseason. We don't know if he can win a high leverage playoff game, and that's the big thing in this matchup. The fact that the Cowboys have everything and everything. I know some Cowboy fans are like, we have a crappy offensive line. It's always hurt. No, you don't. It is hurt. But the offensive line's fine. The defense, the play calling out. You have awesome running backs, a wide receiver number one, an above average, decent offensive line, and one of the best defenses in football. There are no excuses for this Cowboys team. If Dak Prescott's being paid like a top 10 quarterback in the biggest stages with a top 10 team, the Cowboys this year, one of only a few teams, top five in scoring on both sides of the ball, they can win a playoff game. They can win multiple. But it comes down to Dak Prescott really playing clean football and being the reason why they won games. I like a lot of what you said, Brandon, with Jerry Jones. I thought that was a very great point where Jerry wants to be the reason they won a Super Bowl. But oftentimes what makes great management and great ownership is being able to take a step back and hire the best possible people. 
So I'm not going to sit here and just say, oh, we know what Dak Prescott is because that would be misleading. We don't, and there's still more to learn. But I think off of what I've seen so far, until I see something different, my standpoint on Dak won't change. But do you guys, so yes or no, if they go out and lose this game, should Mike McCarthy lose his job? Without a doubt. Yes. Okay. You know, my, my biggest thing about Dallas right now is this is probably the weakest the NFC playoff slate has been in a long time. So you need to go out there and, and they need to win this game, man. Dallas should be playing in the NFC championship game. There's no ifs, no ands, or buts. If Mike McCarthy wants to save his job, that's what he needs to do. There is nobody that scares you. And this is even me coming at my 49ers. There's a rookie quarterback there. The Eagles. This is only Jalen Hurts' second go in the playoffs. The 49ers, rookie quarterback under center. The Buccaneers, aging Tom Brady, coming off of what is a losing season and barely scratching the NFC South. The Vikings, frauds, you smack them. The Seahawks, they don't scare you whatsoever. This is Dallas's best opportunity. This isn't MVP Rodgers. This isn't Brady playing his best. Or this Drew Brees. Drew Brees. Yeah, there, there's no Saint. There's no Sean Payton and Drew Brees out there. The Rams aren't there. Sean McVay and Matt Stafford aren't playing there. Yeah. Well, they, they has a absolutely have to go out there and win. If they win, this is a straight up organizational failure. They have one of the best teams, if not the best team on paper, next to the Philadelphia Eagles. So. I mean, I, I agree that they should go out there and win, and that's why I feel so strongly if they lose. Mike, yeah, I'm, I'm Mike with you 100%. Got to go. Because um, I think, I, 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 again, to be honest, I think the fingers are going to get pointed at Mike McCarthy where it's like you were supposed to elevate this team. You came in with that. I'm going to put it, look at everybody, Super Bowl pedigree. You expected to take leaps, and you, you didn't. Um, you saw them, you know, have – Good regular season, better than what they were, the eight and eights, eight and eights every year. Mm -hmm. But again, getting into the playoffs again, bounced. That's nothing to be like, oh yeah, proud about. Uh, so yeah, I agree. I mean, it's oh, it's open, but I also think it's matchups wise too. Like Styles make fights, and you're going in there against Tom Brady, and even though John has dogged the Buccaneers all season, even though Justin has been hot and cold on the Buccaneers all season. And everybody else too, the NFL community as a whole has been hot and cold on the Bucks all season. There are still a lot of people out there that say, Yeah, but you got that guy on our center. And he can do anything. So that that's what I I think also it has to do with this matchup where it's like they just kind of got the unlucky draw of being that fifth seed and Tampa being the fourth seed, and they got a matchup against Tom Brady in the playoffs. So that that's that's also an unfortunate situation they got into too. In I'm with you, man. Uh, a loss in this game, Mike McCarthy's done. But you know what? That if they lose this game, Jerry Jones really needs to look himself in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. He won't. I have one really fascinating thought. I just recognized this. The Miami Dolphins this week are going to be without Tua, and they're the only team in NFL history to lose four straight playoff games by 17 points or more. Mm. What this really reminds me of was when they won 10 games with Adam Gase in 2016. And Ryan Tannehill was not healthy for the first round wildcard matchup versus the Steelers. And I remember Matt Moore tried out there and Bud Dupree knocked him out of that game. 
uh, it was a really vicious hit, probably illegal. And um, it feels the exact same way for this game against the Bills. And I feel so bad for Dolphin fans because Dan Marino's last playoff game was an absolute annihilation. Annihilation. And so was the second to last one in 2000. And the two times since that point they've made the playoffs, it's been sheer, utter blowouts. In 2008, they won 11 games. In the first round of the playoffs, they lost 9-27 to versus Baltimore. They have not had any playoff success on what is now going on three decades. We talk about the Bengals. We talk or before their cerebral appearance last year. We talk about the Cowboys and the Raiders not winning playoff games. Man, Dolphin fans, I really wish they can get a healthy team next year. I don't know if they're going to, but I feel terrible for the fans because they do deserve more. It's probably why they hyped up to us so much as well. That's a, that's a fa- yeah, that's a that's a fascinating thing. So we're gonna move on now, past the wild card weekend, to our NFL 2022 awards. Award show. And I do have an, an apology to make here. I've uh, I've really done some self reflection, and I yeah. recognize where I was wrong, where I was misguided, and where I was biased. I will accept, as a human being, I am imperfect. So we're going to open up our NFL Awards show, the WGP edition, with the MVP award. The leaders for this award would be Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, and Josh Allen. Now, I think Joe Burrow has the most underrated MVP case. The most. The Bengals all year have dealt with injuries, and they haven't really had their full team. And in spite of that, Joe Burrow had as good, if not better, a season than Jalen Hurts. He won 12 games, took the AFC North, which is one of the best divisions in football. I mean, if you remove his two games versus the Steelers, where he had five or six interceptions, a lot of those were fluky. TJ Watt being TJ Watts. Passes being bad line of scrimmage. Quarterbacks making fantastic plays in the ball. I don't know if a single quarterback this year was better than Joe Burrow. He was absolutely lights out the rest of the season. Coming off of getting his appendix removed. He had surgery a couple weeks before the regular season. And his third year, his second season off a torn ACL, the guy was unstoppable. At least top three quarterback in the league. You rolled your eyes there, Brand. You know he was a top three quarterback. There is no denying that. And when you look at the production this year, Joe Burrow had. I rolled my eyes because, I mean, let's just, you know, cut the crap and just give the award out, John. I want to at least give him his due credit real quick. Joe Burrow had 4,700 yards, 40 touchdowns, and a 57 QPR. It's only 17 turnovers, and a third of those were against the Steelers. He is so deserving for this award. That being said... I said a few weeks ago Jalen Hurts was the MVP, and I went on this kind of diatribe as to why he deserved it over Patrick Mahomes. Ultimately, guys, I have to apologize to the Kansas City Chiefs and Patty Mahomes because I was biased, and quite frankly, I was wrong. We saw Jalen Hurts the last month of the season miss multiple games, and then week 18, yeah, 100-some-odd yards, no TDs, 
Jalen Hurts not end the season grabbing the bull by the horns. Patrick Mahomes broke the all-time record for total yards, 5,600. The 18th game helps. 45 touchdowns, 78 QBR, and he didn't have that vanilla ending. He actually had, when you look at fumbles and turnovers, the same amount of TOs as Jalen Hurts. Patrick Mahomes is my MVP. And I want to give some credit to Joe Burrow before because I'm actually going to have Burrow's lineup number two and Jalen Hurts number three. Now, you're going to look at me and call me Mr. Whatever. You flipped your side. You're not going to stay on your point. But I watched last month of the season. I did some self-reflection. I internalized. I was trying to confirm why Hurts was deserving, why we deserved the new MVP. But as Brandon said, Patrick Mahomes had his number one receiver traded this offseason. And he finished with the number one seed. Whether or not you agree with the Chiefs getting number one seed, it does not matter what you think. They got the number one seed. So, for all things considered, he is, to me, the clear leader for this award. Whoa, 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 what do we got over here? This I'm guy sorry. just said Jalen Hurts three weeks ago was his MVP, and now he's third? It's a close... It's close between him and Burrow, but I'm going to give him the nod to Joey B. I mean, at least you came to your senses, right? Um, listen, <laughs> MVP has been Patrick Mahomes. I, I, I picked Burrow before the season, but by midseason, I saw this is uh, Patrick Mahomes' award to lose. Uh, John went over it. 5,250 yards passing. That's number one in the NFL. 67.1 completion percentage, seventh. 41 passing touchdowns, number one, 12 picks, a 77.9 QBR. It's number one in the NFL. On top of that, 358 yards rushing, four rushing touchdowns, zero fumbles lost. 42% of his throws were for first downs. That's best in the NFL. Second best offense on third down and fourth down. The Bills were number one. Second best O in, reds, in the red zone. First in total offense. First in points scored. Most, like John said, most offensive yards in a single season. Uh, that's an NFL record and broke Drew Brees' record. And third time being the number one seed in his career. Uh, and all of this, all of this without Tyreek Hill, who I believe is the best receiver in football, the most dangerous weapon in football. So you do that, you add all that up, there is no argument for Jalen Hurts to win MVP. Uh, in terms of, I, I thought about this, right? What were what, what things can I quantify for MVP? I thought of three things. Production, impact, team success. And when you look at all those three things, yes, does Jalen Hurts have that too? He does. But Patrick Mahomes just blows him out the door when you look at all those three things. Impact, without Patrick Mahomes, what are the Chiefs? They're probably not even, they're probably maybe there with the Broncos as the worst team in the in the AFC West. Production. I just read you off all those freaking stats and production he put up. And team success, number one seed in the uh uh in the AFC, tied for number one with the Eagles. There's no case to be made for Jalen Hurts. I'm sorry. Patrick Mahomes is the MVP unanimously. Hey guys. What's going on, Justin? So, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking what we spoke about MVP about two, three weeks ago. You've been self-reflecting too? I've been self-reflecting. 
Uh, John's I've, been having these conversations I, without me. <laughs> I've been, I've been really, really rethinking, and, and you know, really after week eighteen was uh, the official stamp where I'm like, okay, I got to go in a different direction. Uh, I, I was all on the Jalen Hurts train. Struggled against the Giants. He didn't play spectacular against the Giants uh, on week eighteen, but then again, that's him coming off of an injury, shaking off rust. So I don't want to hold that too much against him. But then the more you look at, uh, you know, what Mahomes has done in the AFC and what Burrow has done, it just really just pulls all your attention. But the name that's not mentioned out of your mouth, who I believe is a true MVP, is the man that's in Buffalo. I think Josh Allen is the MVP of this na- of the National Football League. No way. I I believe it. I believe it with That's my whole heart. Make a case for Josh Allen MVP, yeah. Justin. Yeah, make a case in in any way, impact, production, or team success. How is he over my Patrick Mahomes? There's no way. So I, I've said before on this show that I believe Josh Allen should have won MVP a long time ago. I think uh, the NFL gave Aaron Rodgers one that Josh Allen actually deserved. This season, what Josh Allen has dealt with, what he's overcome, playing with a, a UCL injury, overcoming that, still throwing at nauseum, continues to throw the football and leading his team to victories over and over and over again. He probably should have been the number one seed. I, I was taking him in that game against the Bengals uh, due to unfortunate events. He didn't get to complete that game, but I had Buffalo slated as the number one seed coming out of the East. I mean, out of the AFC. I just want to rewind to you to week six in the National Football League for you guys when the Buffalo Bills took on the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City. Bills won that game 24-20. Josh Allen's stat line was 27-40 of for 329, three passing touchdowns. On the other hand, your MVP, he threw for 338, spectacular. Two touchdowns, two interceptions. He 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 did he wasn't amazing in that game. If you really watch that game, you you know for a fact that he struggled a bit. He also lost to the Bengals in one of your other MVPs. This past weekend, Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills playing, you know, very motivated after the DeMar Hamlin incident the week before. Josh Allen absolutely tears up the New England Patriots, and what a throw down the sideline to Stephon Diggs that when he made that throw, I said, that is my MVP. That throw sealed the race for me. This guy, week in and week out, you know what you're getting. You know what you're going to see. And while, yeah, you can say the same about Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen is the best quarterback in football. The best quarterback in football. No, and I'll go that far. I don't. And the fact that you guys say I'm not going that far, acting like the race is astronomically different. They're right here. They're neck and neck. You guys have to give respect to Josh Allen. I don't see enough of it. He was your MVP going into the season, if I'm not mistaken, John. He was my MVP. And he was mine. And I'm going to stick with it. He's an absolute monster, Josh Allen, week in and week out, and he shows you that. And you know what? This weekend, when he blows the doors off of Miami, that's expected. When he goes in the next weekend, and if if he goes up against Cincinnati, none of us will be surprised if he throws for 303 touchdowns and rushes for 
60 and a touchdown. And a loss. None of you guys would um, be surprised if he won that game. All right, Justin. So stop doubting my guy. Justin. Because uh, he's the one quarterback that I have no doubt in my mind will go into Arrowhead, or even though I know that won't happen this year. But if they were playing a game in Arrowhead in the playoffs, I know he'll do it. So not the guy that's done it before three times, uh, beaten that guy three times. In Joe oh, no, I believe in Joe Burrow, too. Okay. But Joe you Burrow is one, not third in this MVP you race. You said the one quarterback. But uh, okay, in, in, not, in, in, in none of that argument you made, did you really even come close to making a case for Josh Allen to be the MVP? You just said, I believe in him. I think that he's better. There was no... Well, no, no facts do, or stats. Okay, except for except for the one game that the Bills beat the, the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes cost them the game. That's the only thing you can point to. The Bengals but, game. again, MVP doesn't come down to one game, guys. It's Joe Burrow be Patrick Mahomes. Those are the top three quarterbacks right now. Okay, but I understand that, but still I just read you off everything of Patrick Mahomes being number one or number two in everything. He's the number one seed. What are we talking about here, man? Number one seed is skewed. It's not skewed. It's not. He got it. He got the number one seed. The Bengals and the Bills have one game not played on their schedule. And and, and listen, we can differ on that until until we're both blue in the face. You believe the Bills would have won that game. I believe the Cincinnati Bengals would have won that game. We're going to find out most likely next week what's going to happen when the chips are pushed to the middle of the table. And I believe the Bengals are gonna are, are gonna uh, come out uh, on top in that game. But again, but, in, in, I'm sorry. In nothing you said there, since I didn't nothing read the moved stats. me in what you said in since, terms of impact, production, or team success. Patrick Williams blows away Josh Allen. Blows away is absolutely yes. Ridiculous. I just get he just broke a record for most offensive yards in in NFL history. In NFL history, and you're talking about. That one throw in week 18 against the Patriots with a hampered secondary. Mm. That's my MVP. Patrick Mahomes can make the same goddamn throw with his left hand. What are we talking about? <laughs> what are we talking about? Stop it. No. It's a season, Justin. Not one freaking throw. You want me to I'm saying that that capped it up. I'm saying that was the cap. That was what sealed it there for me. This guy is the best player. This is the best player in the National Football League. Oh my goodness. That's fine. But you guys asked me who's my MVP. And you're wrong. You're wrong. You asked me who's mine. I'm going to tell you who's mine. You're wrong. Don't ask questions that you don't want the answer to. Don't ask. Should I read the stats because Brandon is so mad that I didn't read the stats? Justin, let me tell you something. I'm yeah, I'm man. actually a big I'm a big Josh Allen guy. I've gone as far as to say he is the best quarterback in football. He was my pick. But time out. You just well, said no, no, that. no, no. Don't time out me. I had to, I had to, I had to tell you one important thing. So I, I've done some self-reflection. What I've also done is research. Josh Allen this year had five thousand yards. Patrick Mahomes had 600 more, three more touchdowns, and guess what? Nine less turnovers and a better record. Nine less turnovers. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the Bills' offense, he has, in my opinion, just as much support as Patrick Mahomes. Now, Mahomes does have Andy Reid, no doubt about it. But another thing I add into this equation is storylines. I love both these two stories, but I feel like Patrick Mahomes with – the lack of expectations and how much of a gauntlet this division was supposed to be and how dangerous this Chiefs team is. We didn't talk about them yet on the show. We talked about every playoff team but the Chiefs. 
But the division because, wasn't the gauntlet. Exactly. Because oh, of Patrick sweet. Mahomes and Andy Reid. And he still went 6-0 and against that division. Like, he's still undefeated against the Broncos. And, I, it, it, like, he's still going... Justin. Yeah, 900. He had almost a thousand more passing yards than Josh Allen. Almost a thousand more. Tyreek Hill. Josh Allen rushed for 700. That's and he still had over 600 more. That's what I'm saying, man. He had more of a rushing game than Josh Allen did. He did. How many yards did Josh Allen rush for? 762. 358 for Patrick Mahomes. What, what are you telling me? After that knee dislocation, they're not doing QB sneaks and all that on the goal line of Patty Mahomes. So he could have even more number touchdowns. Number one, number one, number one, number one, number one, number two, number two, number one, number one, number one. I can keep going down the list. And this is why I told you a few weeks ago, he is the best quarterback I've seen. This is. But if he's not number one, he's number two. Okay? Let's settle it there. For Patrick Mahomes, I was having this discussion with a few Chiefs fans I'm close with. The Chiefs will be down 21 nothing. Then you go, okay, now the game starts. Now the game starts. There is no – I, I, I've talked up yeah. Joe Burrow. I've talked up Josh Allen because of how great they are. But Patrick Mahomes is still a step above them, mm-hmm. a slight step, because Levels. Levels. Joe Burrow hasn't had the, the, the stability, the long-term success that Patty has had. I mean, Brand said before, Patrick Mahomes has been starting for five years, and three of those five years, he was the number one seed. This is just Joe Burrow's second season winning his division. And then you talk about Josh Allen. He has the stability, the long-term success, like Patrick Mahomes. Well, but he doesn't, really he doesn't have the it's playoff success that Joe Burrow season. enjoyed last year. So Patrick Mahomes has the long-term five years, the consistency, the stability. He also has a Super Bowl. He has two appearances. And this year in the AFC, uh, but- it is going to be a dogfight between those three teams. And if I had to pick one most confidently, it is Patrick Mahomes. There's not a more dangerous team in football, and there's quite frankly not a better player. I, I don't want to hear any divisional talk because his division has been a freaking cakewalk. The oh, Raiders yeah, really? Or a joke. With Justin Herbert every single season, an elite defense in Denver, and this amazing team you hype up all the time in Las Vegas that you thought should have been a playoff team. I'm saying, okay, before this year, I wasn't hyping up the Raiders. I was on them this year. Okay? And first off, your Chiefs were struggling to beat those teams. 6-0. Oh. At the end of the day, 6-0. Oh, struggling win. to beat them. Oh, struggling to beat them. A win teams. is a they win. They sweep their division. And then they sweep them. They're don't, don't, with the rest don't of the competition, my man. Only with two divisional crowns. You know what? He plays in a tough-ass division. Okay, Steelers, you know what you're getting every year. Baltimore, oh. you know what you're getting every year. You're not, you're, you're, Justin. I'm sorry, you're not. And man. then Josh Allen plays in the same division as the greatest coach of all time. Yeah, with a terrible team. And they still compete. But you know what? Now, Buffalo has been blowing the doors off of Bill Belichick. Yeah, got to give him credit for that. But what are we? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's not good. No, but at all you got, you're just you not making the argument that Mahomes. he's won the MVP. Now over I feel Mahomes. like I'm arguing for Burrow and Josh Allen. And you lose both those arguments. You are wrong, sir. Wrong. I'm sorry that that wrong. division is an absolute cakewalk. Wrong. That doesn't an matter. Play who's in front of you. And he's still, but guess what? You would have an argument if he if he lost again. He swept him. He went six and zero against his division. Six and zero. That's why people don't agree with Tom Brady. I know people that y- y- argue that Brady's not the GOAT because of the division that he and played. They can in. take that opinion and shovel where the sun don't well, shine. You're 100% right. Because care. Brady's proved it in the postseason over and over again. So is Patrick Mahomes. 
over and over again? What? He said, if he goes to the AFC Championship game, what is that three straight AFC Championship? And then he loses. What if he loses? He loses. Josh Allen has it. What are you talking about? He's going to lose. He's going to lose this year. He's going to lose this year. You know what's one thing? You know what's one thing? How many? Time out. How many AFC Championship appearances? He lost in that one. Do you guys want to know something? You're smoking. Do you want to know something? That's right. You know, now I forgot what I was gonna freaking yeah, say. Oh my god! Nah, Come really on, the bright lights, nah, nah. bright lights to get to Jerry. Let's let's move on. Justin had tried his hardest to make it, but he is wrong. You are wrong, Man. sir. Let's move on. Coach of the year. It was a valiant effort. Coach of the year. Now I want to actually give the Vegas insiders odds to give us a kind of clearer picture as to what. Come out. He got money. smacked in the Super Bowl. On the biggest stage of them all, got smacked in the Super Bowl, yeah. and then got smacked by Cincinnati. Yeah. All right, that's it. We at. I'm done. Josh Allen has gone right past there. the AFC Championship. What you, uh, stop right there, Jerry? I kind of, you know, I have amnesia, of course. Yeah, what did Patrick year. Mahomes do in 2020? Remember he was down against uh, Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers, in the fourth quarter. I think it was like a 10 point game, right, with like nine minutes left, something like that. If Jimmy G right. makes the throw, he loses. How about 13 seconds? Oh, 13 seconds? Was, was it 13 seconds? Yeah, it was. Should have lost that game, too. That was just a oh, bad see All these should have, could have, would have. Davious yeah, White was not playing. Was, that's the thing. Yeah, if, I, and my, if my sister had a twig and two berries, she'd be my brother, but she's not. Tredavious. Should, should, should right? So, so get <laughs> out of here with these should have, could have, would have, somebody. All right? Tredavious White. No Tyreek Hill. No Tyreek Hill. Let's move on to Coach of the Year, Justin. Davis White didn't play <laughs> that game. Coach of the Year. I hate you guys. I'm just realizing something. You want to know what's so underappreciated about the Patrick Mahomes 13-second play? No timeouts? The Chiefs had – no, they had three timeouts, but they were down by three points with 13 seconds left. Yeah. And then that was just to get to overtime. Yeah. And then Patrick Mahomes did his thing. So, Imagine if Josh Allen touched the football, which is the main reason why that happened. And the down season for the Kansas City said. Chiefs, they went 12-4, and four, won their division, went to the East Championship game, and were literally one drive away from going to the Super Bowl for a third straight season. And then the Bills fans said, whoop, Josh Allen didn't get touched the football. The same thing happened to Patrick Mahomes when Tom Brady did the same thing to him in the AFC Championship game. And that's what's Brady got the ball and Patrick bro. Mahomes didn't get to touch the football. My brother's a Chief fan, and he had to suffer through years of playoff letdowns. They get Patrick Mahomes, and the two years they didn't go to the Super Bowl of Patty were because of the D4 offsides penalty, and then last year the Bengals' defense came to play. He could have went to the Super Bowl in four of his five first hitting starting. We'll see what happens this year. That, to me, is greatness. It is greatness. Now, the MVP odds, Mahomes number one at plus 400. Allen plus 550. He's number two, according to Vegas. And oh, is he? Yeah. Vegas oh, wow. Jalen Hurts plus 650. Joe Burrow plus 900. And get this, it says before, Brock Purdy plus 1,000. Moving on to NFL Coach of the Year. This might be the best year for Coach of the Year, by far. Kyle Shanahan, what he has done has been nothing short of remarkable. Doug Peterson goes to Jacksonville. And turns the team around from Urban Meyer last year and the number one overall pick to a nine-win team in position to win a playoff game. Incredible. 
He is plus 800 to win. Kyle Shanahan plus 275. But the favorite is Nick Sirianni. The Eagles won a lot of games. Best record in football, plus or minus 175. I didn't even realize that. And get that. Or get this. Brian Dable took a giant team that most expects to win five games to the postseason. Ten wins. Plus 1,400. Dan Campbell almost led the Lions to the playoffs, but there's two underappreciated candidates for this award. The other one missed the playoffs. That's Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin took a Steeler team without T.J. Watt healthy. He was on IR for half the season. And without Najee Harris healthy, to nine wins. They should be in the playoffs right now. That, to me, is remarkable. The other head coach is Pete Carroll. Most people, like the Giants, have the Seahawks winning four or five games. They're in the postseason. They had an awesome offense when they were healthy. Pete Carroll and Mike Tomlin deserve their shine. With all those names I just mentioned, I hate to break it to y'all, I'm giving Brian Dayball this award. There is not a team who has over-accomplished more in sports this season. I love what Kyle Shanahan has done. Maybe I just come to expect it at this point. So maybe I am a little bit biased here. The Giants literally have no meat on the bone. Take a quarterback that was maligned. Saquon Barkley, who was completely misutilized, wasn't that healthy. And then a defense with Wink Martindale to this level. Brian Dable has been nothing short of amazing and a great NFC East. We've got the Eagles, we've got the Cowboys, and the Commanders. And he put them in position to be in this moment. I have to give him that stamp of approval. All right, that's all fine and dandy. Uh, the award is really going to go to Nick Sirianni. I mean, you can make the cases for Dayball and all those other coaches you just named, but at the end of the day, this comes down to production. And uh, you can't argue against the number one seed and the NFC and the number one tie for number one seed uh, and a best record with Kansas City in the entire NFL, 14-3. and three. Uh, So, I, again, I'm, I'm giving it to Nick Sirianni. Uh, that's really the number one seed in the NFC and best record tied with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs in, in the entire NFL. That's all I really need to stamp my approval of him being the uh, coach of the year winner this year. Uh, I, you, you know, I, I'm with Brian Dable. I, I love what he did with the Giants, but I guess I, I have to go in a different direction, and I'm going to say Doug Peterson and the Jaguars. To go from number one pick, from worst to first, and from what the Jaguars were last year with, with Urban Meyer, to come in and turn that whole organization around, to not only give yourself a, a chance to, you know, contend for something bigger than just a division, but to contend for a Super Bowl, you know, I, I, I'm only saying that because once you get into the playoffs, you're, you're in, you know, you can go for it. But he, he's set up this franchise for, for more than just one year of success. Uh, he's completely turned around what Trevor Lawrence looked like last year. Now he's turning him into an MVP candidate for, for future years. Uh, and most importantly, this is going to be the Jaguars division probably for a very long time. And it's all credit to me goes to uh, Doug Peterson. I am shocked not one of us took Kyle Shanahan. I want to give him his credit because I talked to Mike Tomlin before. Kyle Shanahan lost his two quarterbacks. And with oh, a sure. seventh-round pick has led the 49ers to the number two seed. That doesn't sound right at all. 
He went on a 10-game winning streak in the season, won 13 games with the best defense in football with a new D.C. in the second season. And the, the new D.C. and D'Amico Ryans is phenomenal, but the 49ers lost multiple very good assistants, great assistants, in Robert Sala in 2021. And then this last year, Mike McDaniel, and they have not lost a step. Now we see Chris Forrester, the offensive run game corner. He's in conversations. Anthony Lynn's in the building. They have so many great assistance on that staff. I want to give Kyle Shanahan his respect. I took Dable, but it's a super tough selection. If, and the Giants if, won nine games, not ten. They, they tied the commanders. If, um, if Shanahan had Brock for more of a majority of the games, I think I would probably give him the award. But because he had Jimmy G for the majority of the games, uh, I, I got to give it to Nick Sirianni. Do you, do you guys know the last five coaches of the year? Because it's, it's a funky list. I want you guys to spot the imposter among us. Well, when, I mean, the uh, one thing I know about Coach of the Year is usually the best coach doesn't win it. Bill Belichick, I don't even – I think he might be Coach of the Year once in his entire career. 2010 and 2003. And 2007, oh. of course. So three years. Three years? Oh yeah, man. That's surprising. Well, it's been a long time, I guess. Yeah, you can make a case for Bill every year, basically. Last year – Mike, Mike, Mike Rabel won. Year before, Kevin Stefanski. 2019, John Harbaugh, 14 win team. 2018, Matt Nagy. 2017, Sean McVay. 2016, Jason Garrett. 2015, Ron Rivera. 2014, Bruce Arians. 2013, Ron Rivera. And 2012, Bruce Arians. So we went Bruce Arians, Ron Rivera, Bruce Arians, Ron Rivera. It's a fun little fact right there. And Jim Matt, Matt Harbaugh Nagy. won it in 2011. Matt, Matt Nagy. Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett and Matt Nagy are not. They are the imposters. Jason Garrett won. Was that the year uh, with Tony Romo or the year with Dak Prescott? That was Dak's rookie Dak's rookie year? Okay. Yeah. Okay, I guess I, I respect that. Still, when you look at the list, those are the two imposters. Matt and then Matt, Matt Nagy uh, with, with Mitch Trubisky that year. Impressive, Ben. Had it not been for Cody Parkey, I mean, we might be uh, talking about a different bear. if you ask – if you ask some Philadelphia Eagles players, if it wasn't for, I forgot the guy's name, the defensive lineman that said he tipped the ball. Huh. That's what I heard a Chris Long on a podcast say that uh, one of their unheralded players that doesn't get talked about special teams guy, he came up to him after the game in the locker room and said, I, I, I tipped the ball. I touched the ball. So, if you ask that player's name is Trayvon Hester, defensive tackle who tipped the line scrimmage. Slow-mo video appears to show Cody Parker's field goal is tipped by Hester. Shout out to Trayvon. I don't know if he's still in the Eagles. We'll check in a brief moment. So next award up, we're going to go to Offensive Player of the Year. Yes, sir. A couple sir. of different candidates. I got That's... a different one, I think, than all of you guys. I think I'm going to be. But to me, the one right award that I actually hit, I was one for seven this year. There were three where I got the candidates right, but it's the wrong order. The winner to me this season, it was Tyreek in the first half of the season. Remember, he was like well on pace for 2,000 yards. He finished with 1,707 TDs, 119 receptions for an average of 14 yards per reception. Dolphins offense, slow end to the season. Justin Jefferson had 128 receptions, which led the league. 100 or 1,809 yards, which led the league. And eight receiving touchdowns. Nine total. He led the for a second straight season, Justin Jefferson led football in yards per touch. To me, there's a couple of different ways you can go here if you really want to push it. But to me, Justin Jefferson is easily 
the Offensive Player of the Year. I got a different one. Uh, I got a guy that you didn't name. Nelson Aguilar? Nope. <laughs> He's going to be off the Patriots next year. So, um, yes. This guy played for the uh, plays for the Las Vegas Raiders running back. My offensive player of the year is Josh Jacobs. He had 340 carries for 1,653 yards. That was number one in the NFL, 4.9 yards uh, per carry, 12 rushing touchdowns, tied fifth with Chubb, lost zero fumbles, and on top of that, 53 receptions for 400 yards, no receiving touchdowns, but a total of 2,053 yards. Uh, I just got to give it up for uh, Josh Jacobs. So in terms of um, uh, numbers, production, he led the uh, you, what you would consider, I guess, uh, offensive weapons. He led the uh, all of them in uh, yards. So I'm giving my the award to Josh Jacobs. And shout out to shout out to the the Justins, man. I love Justin Herbert, but I love Justin Jefferson a little bit more. I mean, his first three years of his career have been absolutely ridiculous, and I would say he's on par with. Uh, guys like Randy Moss and Jerry Rice for for how they started their career. I think he has more yards in his first three years than Jerry Rice had in his first three three years. Uh, he's on an insane trajectory right now. Uh, he has to be my offensive player of the year. I don't even think – I think that's something that might end up being unanimous. The guy's been at, going absolutely crazy. And uh, just to think, I don't even think we've seen him at his best. I think he'll have better seasons in the future. So, yeah, I'm going to roll with uh, Jettis, and I'm going to go with Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson, now keep in mind he's had an extra game the last two years, has 700 more yards than the next best player in NFL history in receiving in his first three seasons. The second best player is, oh, a former Viking in Randy Moss, mm. who had 4,100 through three years. Justin Jefferson has 4,800, 175 yards away from 5K. Unreal. 22 years old. And what is he, 23, 24? I don't even know. Odell's third in the AJ Green is fourth. Michael Thomas is fifth. Mm-hmm. Michael Thomas in fifth place has 1,000 less yards than Jettis. And um, it's clear to me he's just getting better at this point. It's also being used properly. Shout out to Kevin O'Connell. That's someone I didn't mention either before. He did a pretty good job this season. Former Patriot quarterback. Former Patriot. Next award up is Defensive Player of the Year. Coming into the season, my picks were Micah Parsons, and then in the show, Nick Bosa. Currently, Nick Bosa is um, minus 1,100. Minus 1,100. To win deep boy. And it's um, unanimous, to me at least, that Nick Bosa, the best defender on the best best defensive team with Fred Warner and D'Amico Ryans, all of these great players around him who finished the year with 18 and a half sacks, led the NFL, and 19 tackles for a loss, is the clear-cut guy to win this award. He played in 16-17 games, two forced fumbles, and for the San Francisco defense, he was the engine here. And now they have an incredible team, a ton of support. To me, Nick Bosa, in his second year coming off a torn ACL, is just ascending. And you talk about young guys, Bosa's 25. We're watching one of the most ridiculous defenses in the last decade. And he is the biggest reason why. 
And the, the, those uh, the Bosa genes developing great defensive players. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Before the season, I had Micah Parsons. In the midseason, uh, I, I, I had Micah Parsons as well, but I also gave some uh, love to Matthew Judon. Both of those guys kind of cooled off towards the later part of the season while Nick Bosa took over. So I would give the award to Nick Bosa. I mean, you named it. 51 total tackles, 18 and a half sacks. Th this is uh, what's crazy. 48 QB knockdowns. That was best in the NFL, but get this. Nobody finished within 13 of that. And like you said, two forced fumbles, and he missed one game. So you got to give it unanimously to Nick Bosa on the, the best defensive player on the best defense, like John said. Yeah, I think it's a clean sweep from all three of us. I, I've been high on the 49ers big time, and a large part of that, I don't talk about it too much, but it's because of this guy too, man. You have this guy anchoring your defense, gives you all the more confidence week in and week out that you, you can win a football game. He's a game wrecker. In itself, 18 and a half sacks. You guys have said it 15 and a half last year. And it just seems like he's he's just getting better. Like, I, I think this is the kind of guy that's going to contend for year in and year out to break the sack record. Muted, John. Him and TJ Watt, man. Him and TJ Watt. There's two players that I think definitely deserve some recognition. Though. You always got to bring up a stealer. Of course I do. <laughs> I'm messing with you. Joe Woods, who was recently let go by the Browns, Miles Garrett this season was awesome. The Browns had one of the worst defenses in football, and it was honestly a shame. Uh and Clowney was wondering why the Browns were lining up Miles Garrett on the more inferior tackle. Well, the guy this season, uh, 16 sacks, second straight year. In the Steeler game, I think he had a, a pass deflection, two ridiculous quarterback hits, he has a remarkable bend around the edge. His short area quickness is second to none. The guy is a physical anomaly. And if you're going to talk about elite edge rushers, Micah, TJ, Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett is just up there with the rest of them. He's probably the most domineering physical presence at the position. John, does Jadavion Clowney realize that you usually would, it's just the best scheme wise to put your best defensive pass rusher on the worst offensive lineman? Like we see it all the time. An offensive lineman goes down. Oh, go line Micah, go line Aaron Donald right over them. Of course, it's just the best scheme. I mean, we see it in NBA differently. Pick and roll, switch it. Give me the worst defender on the court. <laughs> man, come on, Jadavion. What are we doing here, guy? Come on, man. And he struggled this season as well. So I'm sure there is frustration, but you made a pretty good point there. So I want to credit Miles Garrett. That was the first name. And the second name is Chris Jones. Remarkable consistency in Kansas City. I don't think he gets the recognition for this award. And there's also the stigma that Chiefs have a bad defense, which just isn't true. Their secondary, it's not the best. It's not, it's average. But, I mean, Chris Jones, every single season, 15 and a half sacks. Interior defense lineman. Think about how remarkable that is. How special, how the grand company, that's the second time in his career, by the way, he has done that. He did in 2018. So... We're going to talk about all these guys. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention Chris Jones. Next award up. Is there anything else you guys like to add to that? Nah. One of my favorite awards this season is defensive rookie there. We're going to say that out there offensive. There's many different ways we can go here because two rookie receivers this season posted 1,000 yards in bad quarterback situations. And yet Kenneth Walker posted 1,200 yards in Seattle. 
my offensive rookie of the year is Garrett Wilson. 83 receptions, 1,100 yards, and four touchdowns. With his quarterbacks being Joe Flacco, Mike White, Chris Stevler, oh, and Zach Wilson. The worst quarterback position, position situation in all of football. Chris Olave at least had Andy Dalton. Olave finished with 11 less receptions, about 11, uh, 100 less yards. It was close between the two. And I want to give Walker a tip of the cap, 4.6 yards per carry. But Garrett Wilson is um, already a wide receiver number one in my book. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm going with Garrett Wilson. Um, dude was an absolute monster from the start. Whenever he got the ball fed to him, he was going crazy. I think his big breakout game, was it against Cleveland with Joe Flacco? I believe was his really first big game. Game-winning touchdown. Yeah, so he had a lot to deal with, kind of to the likes of what DeAndre Hopkins dealt with with his uh, time in Houston. Like you said, you you went through the list of quarterbacks. To do that in this in this city, and also the Jets overachieved this year. As much as we you know we we laugh at them and we can make fun of the organization, nobody had them finishing anywhere close to making the playoffs this year. And guys like Garrett Wilson, guys like Sauce Gardner were big reasons why I think uh, had Brees Hall probably been healthy. We, I think he might've been in this conversation as well. Could go with Kenneth Walker. Yeah, it might've, and you could have, but you could have also went with Kenneth Walker here. A monster season, you know, wasn't even slated to be the RB one for Seattle going into the year, but quickly emerged, but I'm going to still roll with Garrett Wilson. Just overachieved big time, especially what he had to deal with at that quarterback position. He showed out. So mine is going to be a running back. Seattle Seahawks running back Kenneth Walker III is my offensive rookie of the year. 228 carries, 1,050 yards. That's 12th in the NFL, 4.6 yards per carry, nine rushing touchdowns, tied for 10th with Pollard. And I've, I've always uh, differed. I say fumbles lost, but this time, I'm going to say zero fumbles. This guy didn't put the ball on the floor once. All right. And then on top of that, 27 receptions for uh, 165 yards, no receiving touchdowns. But he did all of that in only 15 games. Now, I do want to just highlight the last three games because I think this is where, for me, he went over the edge and won this award. Against the Chiefs, 26 carries, 107 yards, 4.1 a carry. Against the Jets, 23 carries, 133 yards, 5.8 a carry. And against the Rams, 29 carries, 114 yards, 3.9 a carry. Right there, three straight 100-yard games to end the season in three very important games because you're fighting to get into the playoffs. I'm giving my nod to Kenneth Walker III. That's the big thing. Damian Pierce this year finished with four fumbles. He was pulling the ball on the turf a ton. Now, there's one other player in this award that start the season was looked at as one of the worst picks in the draft because he was struggling, his team wasn't going his way, and there's a lot of expectations there. Christian Watson had seven TDs and a four-game span. Now, after his complete breakout in the month of November, he had zero TDs in December, but that moment in the season was like a Travis Fulgham-type lead. And now the difference is Fulgham was a longtime veteran. Christian Watson's just in year one. He finished year 611 yards and 41 receptions. I want to give him and Brian Robinson a tip of the cap. 
As Justin said earlier last week, Robinson nearly finished with 1,000 yards, about 900, give or take, from the scrimmage. Next award up, Defensive Rookie of the Year. My pick is Ahmad Sauce Gardner. And you may be wondering, well, John, Tariq Woolen finished the season with six interceptions, four more than Sauce, and had three fumble recoveries. Aiden Hutchinson had three interceptions. How many, D- how many DNs in the history of the NFL? Had three receptions, three interceptions in a single season. And he also had nine and a half sacks. Well, the reason I have Mod Sauce Gardner over those two guys is because you can make a case this season he has been the best cornerback in football as a rookie. There are not many guys you can play in that group. Jair Alexander, Patrick Sertain, Marshawn Lattimore, who won the award in 2017, and um, I ran out of names. I don't know who else. The guy led the league in pass deflections with 20, had two picks, and I know a lot of people are going to say, well, John, he holds, I say to you, go watch these Jets games. They're not going to play again this season. Ahmad Saras Gardner was a superstar. And just year one, we are watching what can be an insane trajectory here in New York. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Defensive rookie of the year for me is Sauce Gardner. Uh, Led the Jets to a... um one of the best uh, secondaries and one of the best overall defenses in, in the NFL. Uh, 75 total tackles. You, you say, yeah, only two interceptions, but 20 pass defenses. That was first in the NFL. And get this. These are my two favorite sets. Allowed 5.1 yards per target through week 17 and still has not allowed a touchdown in his career. Just receiving-wise or – in ter- like for touchdowns, I mean, on him, like on him, he has not allowed a touchdown. And man coverage, I'd assume, or maybe it's zone too. That's that's insane. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, there's a couple plays where people point to that. I mean, you can clearly see that it wasn't his responsibility. There was miscommunication with another player on the team. But yeah, he still has not allowed a touchdown, like on him. And yes, in, in like what you would say, yeah. So those are just to me. I mean. It's just, I mean, this kid is, a, is, is, he's worth all the hype. He is that guy. He is. Yeah, you, you know, I'm going to, I could have went a different route going into the season. I did pick Aiden Hutchinson to win the award. And while he very well can, nine and a half sacks, and as John said, three interceptions, when the line started to get better, he got better. Uh, he was a big, a driving force in, in their hot streak there towards the end of the season. Hell of a player and probably going to be contending for the, the Defensive Player of the Year award for a long time. But I'm with you guys. Clean sweep on sauce. The closest thing the Jets have to Darrell Rivas right there, and John said it, he very well could have been the best cornerback in football this year. You know, you have two interceptions. Why? People don't want to throw your way, man. People don't want to throw it to your side. And he moves around. He makes tackles. He's not afraid of anybody. And he has that, you know, he's not – I feel like he's not flashy. He's not too showy, but he's cool. He's calm. He's confident. And you know what? He made a, a little Jets fan happy. That kid that said every Jets win, uh, he'll get some ice cream. He promised them that he'll have ice cream a couple times. I think they had seven. Like that kid has seven trips to the ice cream store because of Sauce Gardner. They weren't too giving in the Christmas season, Justin, but at <laughs> that point, for the holidays. Yeah, no, I'm rolling with Sauce, defensive rookie of the year. There is one player here who hasn't had a monster season. I want to have one more than Sauce, but 
I think on Sunday he's going to have a great game versus the Vikings. That's Kayvon Thibodeau. Finished the year with two forced fumbles, four sacks. The production is not there necessarily, but with his usual Jalari on the edge, I think we're seeing the breakout of Kayvon Thibodeau before our very own eyes. And to me, he could have been the number one overall pick. Um, it's going to take some time, I think, for him to really grow. And um, he doesn't necessarily come off as the most endearing athlete per se, um, but he's a ph- phenomenal player. We saw Scorner Justin. I saw him in person. He is unbelievable. Uh, at six foot three, his range and short area quickness, just to be able to change direction in a split second and jump a pass, it is not something you see at the corner position. Tariq Wool six foot four, when you cover that much ground and you're as confident as him, he is so disciplined. And I know he's had some penalties here and there, yes, but when I say disciplined, he's so decisive and so deliberate. I feel like for him, if he's not already the best corner in football, at between him and PS2, it, we're seeing some pretty elite corners right now. It's a position of really being smooth and, I guess the word would be tactical. And um, it's quite honestly art when you really focus it on them in pass coverage. So I want to give him his due credit. The next award for us would be Comeback Player of the Year. The top three candidates, Geno Smith, Christian McCaffrey, and Saquon Barkley. My pick is Geno Smith. To go from career backup, one of the worst quarterbacks in the lineage of Jets busts, to breaking the Seahawks all-time single-season passing yards record right after the trade of Russell Wilson. And oh, by the way, after missing the playoffs last year, making the playoffs in your first year as a starter, Geno this year, 33 touchdowns. He did have more turnover-worthy plays than his... Oh, he had 30 touchdowns. He had one rushing. His 11 interceptions suggest, but he loved the league in completion percentage. His career average before this year was 62%. This year is at 70. Geno Smith, man, was an MVP in the first half of the season. The second half, he was a good starting quarterback. So I have to give him his respect, man. Geno Smith is the comeback player of the year. Yeah. Um, before the season, I had CMC. Mid-season, it was between Saquon and Geno Smith. Um, and I'm going to give the nod to Geno Smith. Uh, so I have two Seattle Seahawks winning awards this year. Uh, so Geno threw, I mean, 4,282 passing yards. That's eighth in the NFL. Uh, like John said, 69.8 completion percentage, led the league. 30 passing touchdowns, fourth in the league. 11 interceptions, 61.1 QBR, sixth in the league. And then 366 yards rushing, a touchdown, two fumbles lost. So for me, Geno Smith, like the quote he said, they wrote me off, I ain't right back. You get your comeback player of the year award. Hats off to Geno Smith. You know, we're we're giving Geno his flowers. Hats off, Justin. Nah, I got to get a haircut. Oh, that's disrespectful. (laughs) (laughs) So we're giving Geno his flowers, and deservedly so. I mean, what a year from a guy that a lot of people wrote off. I mean, going into the season, I had said, I'd rather watch Drew Locke play for the simple fact that the guy hasn't been given complete opportunities. And with the the cast of receivers in Seattle, I thought it'd be a good opportunity. But Gino took his opportunity opportunity and he ran with it. So uh, give him his credit. But I'm going to go a different route, and I'm going to go and say Saquon Barkley. Uh, Going into the season, one of you guys had said this was his make-it-or-break-it season when we did that segment. And damn sure he made it. 
because going into this year, last season, he rushed for 593 yards, two touchdowns granted with injuries. The year before that, 34 yards and then another injury. This year, 1,312, 10 rushing touchdowns while also receiving for 338 and 57 receptions. He has been a true cog for the Giants in that machine. With that offense, with those receivers, he is the number one. He is the number one option on that team. And he helped lead, lead them all the way to the playoffs, a thing that we never thought the Giants were going to even do this year. Uh, they're not there without Saquon Barkley. So got to give him his flowers because the Penn State alum is just showing that he was deserved for that big-time pick. And he showed out, and I think he's going to have a nice payday this offseason. I have to respect Saquon because coming to the season, I said he wasn't the top 20 running back after the last two years. And boy, did he and Christian McCaffrey have bounce back seasons. Brian, coming to the year, your comeback player of the year is CMC. He went from two touchdowns to 13. Saquon went from 856 to 1,600 yards. He doubled his total. And really for Saquon, it stands out so much. Was He was the engine for almost the entire season. He was playing through injury as well. CMC wasn't as banged up. So those two guys had remarkable turnarounds. And uh, with all that being said, Derek Carr on Instagram posted a goodbye 29 minutes ago. Actually, 57 minutes ago, but I got the notification 29. Raider Nation, it breaks my heart. I didn't get an opportunity to say goodbye in person. It's especially hard to say goodbye because I can honestly say I gave you everything I had every single day in season and the offseason. Thank you to the city of Oakland and Las Vegas for proudly taking us in and calling the, our team home. I once said that if I'm not a Raider, I would rather be at home, and I meant that. But I never envisioned it ending this way. That fire burning inside of me to win a championship still rages. A fire no man can extinguish. Only God. So I look forward to a new city and a new team. So I look forward to a new city and a new team who, no matter the circumstance, will get everything I have. Winning a championship is what I've always wanted and what I will continue to work towards. God bless. Love you all with love. DC4. Oh, man. Wow. Wow. I... Greatest Raiders quarterback in, in, in their team history right there. Talk about Super Bowls. I think that's a... Well, I mean, we're not... The snake? Uh, of, of recent memory, you, you can definitely... The snake? Let's talk about Ken Stabler, the all-time MVP, all-pro. Can definitely make an argument for it. In terms of production, yes. That's what I'm going off of. Yeah. It's a diff it was a different NFL, so yeah, I guess you no. could say that. But uh, I guess I don't know if you guys want to react to that quickly. We do. Yeah, but Derek Carr, uh, not only a good quarterback, but most importantly, he was a great person. I I don't like how they how they uh, treated him towards that tail end. Like he said, he wanted to say goodbye to the Raiders on, on his own terms, but unfortunately, athletes don't always get the get the chance to do that. Not a lot of them get to call their careers or, or call their tenure with a team on their own terms. Uh, few, few and far between, there are people that do that. But Derek Carr is uh, definitely going to make some team very happy next year. If he's going to play with the fire that he wrote, in, wrote about, 
I think uh, whatever lucky suitor gets him is going to really cherish that because he's going to come in there guns blazing. He's going to be in New York a year from now. And it feels a lot so. like Baker Mayfield in Cleveland where he issues the apology knowing he's going to get traded. The team's not going to change direction. And you know that Derek Carr is more high-level football left in him. He's only 31 years old, just 31. I feel like Derek Carr can be a high-level quarterback in New York and realistically bring them back to those AFC Championship heights. It'll be a tall order, but with what they've done, they're the first team since the Saints in 2017 to have the offensive and defensive rookie of the year. The Jets are building something special, and it's abundantly clear to me, DC for next year is going to be the best Jets quarterback in franchise history. You talk about all-time stuff. No quarterback the Jets have ever had, and that includes Joe Namath, who won a Super Bowl and is one of the greatest, and rightfully in Canton, Derek Carr would be the best guy they've ever had for the job. And with what they're building, they actually just let go of Matt LaFleur, or actually Mike LaFleur, sorry. I think it's abundantly clear where this is headed. Well, if, if the Jets had him this year, they'd probably win 10 games. Dude, they had him this year, they'd win 12 games. If you go from the worst quarterback in football to what Derek Carr was, like the 16th, yeah, they went well, 12th probably. One thing that was just reported on from the Athletic, uh, so the Raiders plan to release Derek Carr if he is not traded by February 15th. Don't know if that's a good thing to uh, release of a teams. Now they're going to be like, well, why would we even give anything up if you're just going to cut them? Valid point. Unless you just are like, I'm, I'm so in on Demi. And if there's a team out there that's like, no, we're, we're, we're so in on Derek Carr, we have to get Derek Carr before he hits the open market, then I could see that. But not with that contract. Just yeah, let him yeah, cut. If you're, yeah. if you're like, if you're reading that report and you're just like, no. Oh, Let's wait till February 15th and then open season. Yeah, and real quick, there's this one comment on The Athletic. Good luck, Derek. You're a good man. You're just never able to overcome a series of horseshit defenses and carry the entire team on your shoulders. Peace. <laughs> Pretty accurate. Sure. Story. Um, with all that Very being good. said, nothing else you guys like to have before we wrap this up? No, I'm good. Ready for football, man. Should be a, a, a very fun weekend. Kenny Pickett for MVP. With all that being said, we want to thank you for watching and staying to the very end. Josh. I am John Tortorelli. This is Brendan Capazello and Justin Wright. And as always, we'll see you. Josh Allen for MVP. Stay classy. Walla walla, hey! Hell no.